I can't see anywhere except where I've been. Things keep popping out to kill me and I'm really hungry. Guess I'll just stand here and have a hamburger. Yum! Oh wow, that was a good burger. You made me sleepy though. Nothing in here moves except when I do, so taking a nap should be fine. Oh no, I slept too long. The floors and walls moved around again. I have no idea where I am. Plus there are six mean monsters right next to me. What should I do? That's the tenth idiot I've had to clean off the floor this week. When will these jokers realize that eating anything in a cave with mushroom spores permeating the air is a bad idea? Now a podcast so grand. Whoa. So magnificent and so vast, it spans from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. No way! Yes way! But it starts with Phil. How do you choose the best equipment? And Mike. The one that looks the best, dude! Phil, Mike, this is really quite simple. Unless you get an A-plus on your final oral report in video game history tomorrow, I have no choice but to flunk the boat of you. Two epic airheads. Mike, we are in danger of flunking most heinously tomorrow. One time-traveling telephone booth. Uh, strange things are afoot at the Circle K. I'm here to help you with your history report. Who knew the history of video games could be such an excellent adventure? Yo, dude, I have experience bar. How do I get experienced? It's like when you learn stuff for a long time, you know? Oh, oh, look, Mike. Okay, let's check it out. Hey, who is this old dude? It's dangerous to go alone. Take this. Hey, excuse me, old dude. Do you know if there's any bogus bosses of historic significance here? How's it going, ugly pixelated dude? These are your hosts, Philip Willis. Those are some hot magic slinging babes. And Mike Meeky. It's a gaming report, not a babe report. And all kinds of games from RPG Backtrack. If you guys are really us, what game are we thinking of? Shining Force, dude! Dudes! This is Phil and Mike's Excellent RPG Backtrack. Welcome to RPG Backtrack number 162. I think we're at 162. Yeah, 162. Woo, the time flies. Do you like this rogue? Actually, I think we should have said rogues do it one turn at a time. Yeah, woo, that's clever. We're talking about rogues today. Yeah, and we got some people to help us talk about rogues. Or, well, what about you, Mr. App? Do you like to talk about rogues? I do. All right, but the most roguey roguish of rogues is Cassandra Ramos. Hello. Want to talk about rogues? Uh, mostly one of them. You won't let me talk about the other one. I pl- the other two, rather, I played. Oh my gosh! Tell you we'll see how much time's left to the end. Mike, I I will talk about rogues. I don't necessarily know if I like to talk about them, but we'll find out, won't we? Mike likes talking about rogues. More specifically, we are talking about rogue-like games today. We have got a whole slew of roguelike games we're going to talk about, and uh, this this uh, you know we've we've done shows in the past where we've done like a series of games, and when those games don't have a lot of story or characters or or depth or whatever it is, uh, we can sometimes cram quite a few games into one show. But I think we're kind of pushing our record here, as we've got literally at last count about ten games to talk about this time. 
maybe more, maybe you, eleven, you maybe twelve. If we get in Cassandra's at the end, at the end, we'll see. But yeah, yeah, because you know, roguelike games have such deep stories. So <laughs> they definitely that, well, do. some well, of it, some of them occasionally do. Well, Dust. one of them is terribly. It's very confusing. The story. <laughs> I'll get into that later. Um, so we got a couple of couple of rules on the show. We basically picked. I mean, there's there's literally been two or three dozen rogue games. Row, uh, direct row games that came out in the in the last 30, 40 years. We picked uh, we we kind of picked this list based off of I don't know. Mike started the list, and then I kind of uh, plucked it a little bit, and Michael put in the game, and Cassandra put in the game, and so we're kind of picking games that really stick out and jump out at us. We're also only going to talk about one game per series. So when we get to something like uh, Izuna, we're we're going to talk about the Izuna as a series rather than going through each single game and each single plot. And I think there are only two Izunas anyway. Oh, that's good, but that was the quickest series. That's fine. Yeah, uh, that's fine. Oh, that is kind of fine. I played that one. Um, and then uh, we're not talking about roguelikes. We're not talking about the rogue legacies, for example, or Diablo or uh, FTL or any of those games that have roguelike elements to them. We are, we are talking about old-fashioned, old-school, you take a turn, enemy takes a turn, at the same time, usually, um, type of roguelike. So... Uh, and we got quite a few, so we're gonna we're gonna take a break so we can get started here as quickly as possible. We'll be right back. start off with the original rogue video game from the 1980s not to be confused with the 2014 game by ubisoft assassin's creed rogue no this is good old-fashioned just plain old rogue released on the amiga the amstrad cpc the atari 8-bit the atari st the commodore 64 dos macintosh trs80 coco unix and the zx spectrum originally released on 1980 it's a single player roguelike game called rogue (laughs) that can't be the whole platform list phil come on this is the original game i know it's got to be missing the 2600 at least. Didn't this come out on the 2600? No. No, they couldn't fit this on the 2600. No, 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 no. Not the ColecoVision? No, no. Graphic fidelity was too high. After all, you had to be able to fit like 50 characters on a row. Couldn't do that with the Atari. <laughs> you could only get like 10 numbers if you were lucky. Uh, did any of y'all play the original Rogue? Nope, didn't think so. That's okay, uh, I did. <laughs> Listen to uh. Uh, like, no. I was I was gonna say not the original original, but some of like the remakes of it with nicer graphics instead of disgusting hey, ASCII. Okay, you know what? Stop that apps. That is the unpure way to play. Okay, that is impure, impure, impure. I don't care. At least they impure. can see what's going on. Filthy, saying, oh, disgusting. Is that letter is that letter S a snake or okay. what is that? It's you know? engaging oh. your imagination. For the record, okay. 
gosh, you must be horrible at playing Dungeons and Dragons at a table. What do you mean this Penny is my character? Goodness gracious. Okay, so <laughs> let's this go. Is a, this might be, I think aside from our Ultima show, this is as old as we've ever gotten. Yeah, yeah, it really, really is old. You got to put on your, your time war pats, boys and girls, before computers really had graphics and we just had characters. When we say, uh, gosh, does anybody know what ASCII stands for? I don't um, remember. Yeah. Uh, ASCII stands for the American Standard Code for Information Interchange. Uh, essentially, because computers can only understand numbers, uh, each letter is assigned a number. So, uh, and, and of course, there's more. Uh, usually, back in the days, those 8 bit computers or whatnot could do 256 numbers in one variable or storage unit or whatever it's called. So you not only had the 32 letters plus the 32 capital versions of those letters plus a number of symbols and the such, but as you got up into the hundreds, it would get into uh, weird symbols or smile. If you had a, like a really fancy computer, you'd have like smiley faces and, and arrows and stuff at the high end of the ASCII code. I remember back in the day when I was doing uh, computer programming in the 80s, um, you would hold down like a control key or an alt key and then type in the number, poof, it would pop up. So um, you, you usually had to keep a printout close by to figure out what the different numbers were and how they – and it worked a little different on every computer. It wasn't, wasn't standardized from what I remember. Uh, but anywho, with Rogue uh, – so Rogue was before computers – or at least back when I played it, it – it was before computers had graphics. They just used characters, dashes, letters, the whole nine yards. So uh, – and, and the whole thing is you're just basically – in a dungeon and you got to see how far you can get you didn't have very many stats you had a strength kind of an armor class experience uh and you were represented by an ampersand and yeah though the dungeon room no were- no you you chose this game deliberately phil you know we know how much you love to say ampersand ampersand that's right um the uh the the you would see the whole floor of the dungeon um on the screen so and most computers back in the day could only do like 80 characters across in a row so <laughs> you couldn't fit too many rooms into this dungeon but your character is one of you know your character is one letter and he must play the arrow keys to move him around uh the rooms were connected by hallways that were represented with um pound signs so and the enemies were represented by various um letters and symbols and you would go and run into them and, and hit them and I believe there was an inventory system and as such um, there was a number of commands that you could you know text uh, text parser would let you probably put in a number of commands I would imagine but uh, it's been a little bit been a little while since I played this game Whew. and if you had a fancier computer you had colors because we, we didn't you know the original one was in a monochrome monitor so that was pretty fun um, roguelike games are known for their difficulty there was no hand holding yeah, that little uh, percent sign camp and kicked you in the ass. You found out the hard way he was too tough for you, and then you had to start over. And you learned to avoid him the next time until you leveled up. Um, they were randomized. Uh, it wasn't too hard to do back in the day, since you know most dungeons, most floors of the dungeon only had five or six rooms connected by you know some hallways with some random monsters and items thrown in. Uh, and it was just a you know a thing to see how far you could get. Um, the role playing elements were limited to you feeling like you're in a dungeon against some unknown evil, and just you know see how far how far down you can go. As you go down in the levels, the monsters get tougher. This sounds very simple, but back then it was the bomb. I mean, it was just like the best thing we had when this was out was like Space Invaders and and uh, Pac-Man, and not that those aren't fun games, but this was the closest thing you got to Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and, and yes, Michael, you had to use your imagination because it had no graphics. 
Did anyone ever make a Pac-Man roguelike? Yeah, that would be a uh, hacked version. Out no, there, so. yeah. no, actually, mm-hmm. actually, yeah, actually, apps I played uh, on my um, was it my Tandy One Thousand computer? I had a disc full of a bunch of really old games, uh, full of three and a half, and it had a Pac-Man made with ASCII characters. So that's no, that's no, that's not what I meant. No. Yeah. No ASCII. ASCII. No. no. ASCII characters. Uh, it was beautiful. You had to use your imagination. That smiley face, that's Pac-Man, except they call him Puck-Man or something, which was fun to change that first letter. But uh, it's just, yeah. So, uh, you, you know what else takes imagination? Um, creating actual graphics for a game. Okay, you know what? Back then, no, no, In 1980, no. that was really hard, actually. <laughs> what's, yeah, that's true. What's really interesting is that, and we're going to talk about this later down the road, but uh, there's some there's some newer rogue, uh, rogue-like uh, games that continue that grand tradition of just using characters and, and mm-hmm. no graphics. So we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in just a minute. But yeah, and Dying was, a de- was game over. There was no saving your game. Heaven forbid you had to turn it off. But once it went down, you know, or you died or whatever, you got to start over again. And the only thing that progressed, therefore, was your knowledge, your personal knowledge and experience with the game that made you a smart, a smarter gamer. That was your only tool that you got to carry with you from game to game that would help you get further and further. So that is Rogue. And there was a number of other little spinoffs that came out of it, uh, which you can go and, and look up. I, I didn't play them. I doubt Michael's played them because they didn't have graphics. Uh, there was like Hack. Uh, there was Moira. <laughs> Um, which was more. I've uh, actually played all, pretty much all of them. Oh really? How did you suffer through? I didn't. I was trying to find other game. I was trying to find good games on AOL, and everything I downloaded was something involving ASCII graphics, <laughs> <laughs> including most of those. Uh, well, we we move on. If so, if you move forward uh, about, I want to say about ten, fifteen years. Uh, there was another game that uh, came out. is called Ogbond, which is the same uh, same thing. It's a dungeon crawling, um, and now they start calling games roguelike because <laughs> it builds on the on the premise of randomized dungeons. Good luck, you die. It's all over. Start over again, um, and punishing difficulty, and not a lot of information given to you. Random generalization. Those those key elements are going to be in every one of the games we talk about today. Ogbond builds on that by by giving you bigger dungeons. A town, uh, I believe, shops. Did you ever play uh, Ogbon, Mike? Nope. Nope. Um, so uh, I didn't play Ogbond either, but Ogbond, in turn, because it was open source or something like it, spawned a number of uh, I don't know. Sequels isn't the right word, but I remember they were they were basically a, a number of games that were called Ogbon with a different letter in front. So there was Z Ogbon or Zogbon. Um, there might have been Dogbon. I, I don't know the other ones. I played Zongbon. One of the cool things about Zogbon is it actually featured an overworld as well. So you still have the main 100 floor dungeon. It's building on what Ogbon has. You have the main town. You have the 100 floor dungeon, but you can also go in overworld and do some little dungeons and and run into a few very shallow. NPCs and the such. Um, one of the cool things about Zogbond is it did have uh, the ability, if you use this one client, to replace the ASCII characters with tile graphics. So now you're moving mm-hmm. up to like NES level graphics. <laughs> I would even, yeah, ooh, <laughs> tile based, uh, tile based graphics. One of the really, really cool things about Ogbon or Zogbond, and I'm guessing Ogbon by extension, because I'm sure they took a lot of this from Ogbond. I mean, they just poured it over and built on it. Is Ogbon, Zogbond, whatever, gave you a ton of races and classes to pick from. 
I mean, there was there was there was races like vampire, uh, of course, the traditional token ones like halfling and elf. But you get some really weird ones, uh, devil, demon, whatever. I mean, there was just so many there, plus a ton of different classes. How do they all exactly operate? What were their bonuses? Well, there was some description in the game, uh, maybe in a health file. I remember reading some, a few things here and there. But for the most part, it was go figure it out. And if you're playing the vampire, I would highly recommend you don't run in the overworld in the sun. Um, but but yeah, it was it was just so cool that you could play this game a hundred different times, and you could play a different race, character, class combination every single one of those times as well. Um, so lots and lots of magic items, and and oh my gosh, it just it was all so random, so much there. Uh, it's just it's just so much more than what they can do today because they're so busy focused on graphics. They, they, you won't find a game with 500 different class and race combinations. Diablo just gives you, what, five different, six different classes with two genders each? Boring! Sangba literally gives you, what, over 200 permutations of race and class? Yeah, buddy. And these are like whacked out classes, too. No one tested these for balance. There's no balance testing here. There's some broken-ass crap in this thing. So, And Zogbond is still got a website running. Zombog.org. You can download and play the game for free. Don't ask me where the tile set is at, because I think you just download the DOS, the DOS looking version with ASCII Michael apps. Ugh. Um, but the last time I, I checked the website today, I was chit chatting with Mister uh, Minky, and it looks like the last time the website was updated was 2003. But it's still there. You can still download. Um, I believe the client is like. It might be called Zombog TK. Look for Zombog TK, I think is what I remember. All right, moving 2003, on. 2003, does that mean you can play it with an Angel Fire account? <laughs> Who knows? Um, okay, I just wanted to, even though Zogbon's in the 2000s, I just wanted to jump ahead to that because it it really spiritually, uh, visibly, directly links back to, to Rogue in so many different ways. It's not even funny. But now we're going to go a little bit further off the, 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 the road here. But we're going to go back in time a little bit because we, we did have some good rogue-like uh, games that came out afterwards. And we'll start with Fatal Labyrinth, developed and published by Sega. Um, this was released on the Sega Mega Drive in Japan on November 19, 1990, and then in North America on August 21st, 1991. And of course, it's a single-player roguelike uh, RPG. So who, who played Fatal Labyrinth? Did you use the word "good" to describe this, Phil? Did I use the word? Good? I have to take. I have to take severe issue with that word. Did I say good? Mm. You did say good. This well, is not a good game. It's the Devastator that's talking to me. But it has pretty <laughs> graphics. Really, uh, really, Phil? I'm looking at the screenshot. This, this was is... made in 1990, and it still looks like sub Genesis level stuff. That's not good. But 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 it looks better than ASCII. Okay. Well, so I mean that so that doesn't say... take much. <laughs> So if I was to reproduce the entire game using great medieval bold font, you would say that it looks awesome, right? Oh, spiffy. Hey, I see stats. Stats are cool. Uh, sure. Yeah, let's go with that. Do you know what the stats have to do with your with battle, Phil? Absolutely nothing. What? Isn't it, isn't what? it great when you can do four damage in one attack and then you do 30 damage in another attack well, for no yeah. apparent reason? Well, Doesn't that sound great? Yeah, it does sound great because basically roguelikes are all about randomization. So that sounds like even the damage is randomized. It is randomized. Nice. Don't you love it? 
Oh, that was the other thing about Zogbunch. You get so many status ailments, it wasn't even fun. But yeah, oh, no, it was, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Randomization. Woo! You get two status ailments in this game. One, you fall asleep, and you don't get confused in this game. Instead, you feel like dancing. That's what the game calls it. You feel like dancing. You can't control what you're doing because you feel like dancing. That's a that's an interesting status ailment to have. It is. Uh, oh, and you get money in this game. Do you know how useful the money is, Phil? Hmm. That's always been kind of a weakness of these games. <laughs> oh, oh, you're gonna love this. Money gets you a nicer tombstone when you die. Ooh, gold-plated. <laughs> wow. Oh, that is the only thing the money gets you. Ah, gold-plated. And yes, you have to eat things, and if you eat too much, then you move really, really slow because you were too stupid to stop eating for a while. Uh, and you can throw anything. Uh, I gather that's not unique to this game at all, but it, yeah. it is kind of funny. You just... Here, I don't like this helmet. I'm going to throw it at the enemy and see what it does. Or I don't like whatever this is. I'm going to throw it at the enemy. Oh, that was a magic scroll. That's where ZHP got it from. Don't throw any invincibility items. I don't think there are any in this game. Oh, oh well. That was always fun. Uh, there's a 30-floor tower, and you're a guy marching up it because there's a dragon on top of it, and it's evil. And then you get to the dragon at the top, and the dragon gets mad, and it tries to kill you, and you kill it instead, and that's the end. Hmm. See? See how much time I had to spend on that wonderful story? But uh, Let's see here. 30 <laughs> floors. Oh, and yeah, even better for these graphics, it changes color for the floors every 10 of them. So you get three Ooh, total colors. color schemes for the floor. <laughs> three. Well, that's more than Rogue. Yeah. <laughs> What's your point? <laughs> I don't really have a point. <laughs> Yeah, the the ocean looks different if you go somewhere else, too. That doesn't make it look any different where you are right now. Oh, okay, okay, Mike. One of the cool things about playing, like, Zogbon is, like, is like you know, you're always on the edge of your seat as you're going down dungeons because you could die at any minute, but, but then you get cool items, you get more powerful, so you push your luck a little bit further, you go back up to town, you go back, you push down a little bit further. Do you get any of that? Do you get that excitement? If you get killed, you get kicked back to the last multiple of five floor that you hit. Yeah. And yeah. Um, Sounds like they kind of whipped out there. A little. Just a little. Uh, I don't Well, like, so <laughs> so do you, like, teleport back up to the surface and go back down if you're no, no. low once on resources? You, once, you, once you get in there, you're in there for the... No, you, you're, the whole game is in there. You get teleported back to either floor 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, and then you get to start up with the next floor again. And it, because it's, of course, randomly generated, uh, wow, you have to find the path again. And no, I don't... Uh, oh, there's no save feature, which, you know, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. Of course, this was back when battery backup made the games more expensive, but it's still nice. Um... I remember this game making me alternately bored and incredibly angry. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound like a ton of fun. Of course, roguelikes are known for just making people angry, period. But uh, that's usually due to cheap deaths. Uh, you don't know what the hell you're doing. The game doesn't even <laughs> going to tell you what the hell you're doing. <laughs> oh, you'll and, get that. Yeah. Remember, sometimes you'll just feel like dancing and the enemies will beat you down while you dance. 
Oh yeah, I yeah. I don't. I don't know what that's supposed to be a metaphor of, if anything. No, no. But that sounds like something that that felt feels like it's inspired by 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 rogue and roguelikes. likes. You know, definitely, it's just you get where he's in. Don't know, but dancing. But you definitely get like you're paralyzed, and the monster just walks up and starts whacking at you. Paralyzed, 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 paralyzed. You're dead. And you're like, come on! I didn't even get to fight back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can see why I didn't actually stick with roguelikes for too, you know, rogue and oddbond for too long. But yeah, that's exactly how it works. So I, I am not going to call this one of the hidden gems in the Genesis RPG library because it isn't one. Okay, fair enough. But you know what? I think we got a gem right here because we're ready to talk about Mystery Dungeon Shirin the Wanderer series. Yes. Yes. <laughs> this was developed by Chunsoft, published by Chunsoft, and by Sega on the DS. This was originally released, the first game, December 1st, 1995, in Japan on the SNES. We eventually got our first one here in North America, March 4, 2008, on the Nintendo DS. This is another single-player roguelike RPG. Woo! 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 So you and I both played this, Mr. Apps. It sounds like because you're like all excited, so I know you played it. Yeah, yeah. Really enjoyed this game. How far did you get? Did you beat it? Mm, I have not beaten it. I got I I got to the last the last level, I believe. Wow. Died there. Wow. Okay, you did much better than I did. (laughs) Uh but this Specifically, this game in the series, we don't necessarily need to talk about any other ones, obviously. But this, uh, I think, captures the spirit of the original Rogue a lot while adding in its own modern features as well. Um, So, like the original Rogue, you have the whole permadeath thing to worry about. But it has kind of these interesting, uh, persistent features between deaths. Like, you find certain characters that, as you travel along, and uh, what... What was the story? Sheeran is trying to find El Dorado or something. I don't know. Not really important. Um, but so you travel, you travel around, and this is kind of like a uh, Japanese-themed uh, dungeon. And eventually, you'll get these companions that you know will follow you around, AI-controlled, obviously, and help you out. And the neat thing is, after you find them once, you know, the next time you die and start over, they'll actually join up with you, like, really early on. Nice. Kind of making, making, making things a little easier as you go along. And there's also, uh, like, some storage places where you can uh, store items that will be saved between deaths. So what you can actually do is level up a, a weapon save it in storage, and then your next playthrough, level it up again, save in storage, and, like, build it, build up, you know, some powerful items uh, to make things easier. And the game seems to kind of want you to do this, uh, because, you know, the, the farther you get in, it gets extremely difficult. Like, not necessarily unfair, just really, really difficult. And you really need to have some good items to make it through. Hmm. Uh, so, it, it's pretty cool very well designed it has a fun multiplayer feature which although there's no online anymore on the ds you can still use passwords and what you can do is you can give somebody a password when you die and then they can use that password to actually you know start the game from the beginning and go and save you which is uh which shirin is this in the numerically in the series uh i believe it is the original a remake of the original okay and from I can't. What I, I can't remember just how many there are by now. And I believe I've poked around with a ROM of the original in the past, and I think it sticks pretty close to it. 
Um, but obviously with the, with this online feature added. Um, yeah, the Super pretty- Nintendo severely lacked online options. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's pretty cool though because you can still find people, you know, sharing those passwords online. You know, since you can't do like a direct uh, online interaction anymore, but the password feature still works. So you can still share passwords with people and go and help each other out, and it's pretty cool. And you know, like I said, it it sticks really close to kind of the original uh, Rogue design. You know, uh, and, you said there's permadeath, right? Yeah, permadeath, but. You know those additional features that stick stick there when you do die. I think make the game very interesting. And um, aside from another roguelike that we'll talk about later, it's definitely way up there on my list of favorites. Now I seem to recall that Glenn played this and was not enamored, but that's often the case. So I can't remember precisely what turned him off. Uh, did he play this one or did he play the one for the Wii? I think it was the Wii. Yeah, he was okay. not What's thrilled. That? He was not a fan yeah. of that one. I forgot that that one got a Wii a Wii release. Oh, yeah, man. so so that one's less of a traditional roguelike and has a story and it's a bit of a mess to be honest. Even <laughs> though I enjoyed it, uh, so I could definitely see someone not liking that. I uh, remember this now. He gave it a one and a half. <laughs> yeah, he was not happy. <laughs> Ooh. So the lesson here is play the DS one. Yes, yep. the DS the DS one is very good, very underrated. Um, Sega, well, I don't want to say they kind of threw it out here to die because they seem to do a decent job trying to, uh, but it didn't work and it sold like poop. So you know what? <laughs> but I agree with you. I ha- I enjoyed my time with it, and I think I definitely enjoyed my time with it more than another certain. Um, DS Rogue Gamer to talk about. But, um, you know, I think that deserves a, a beer. Ah. All right. This one's to you. Yeah, there you, there you can see what Glenn thought of it. The, the Wii one, not the DS one. <laughs> yeah. The Wii one. But in it, eh, it's uh, not, the Wii, but uh, roguelike, yes, indeed. <laughs> Another thing I should note about Sheeran is it's uh, made by uh, Spike Chunsoft. Um, and since this one is like a remake of the SNES one, it kind of has a lot of the touches of their like Dragon Quest games, like some of the sounds, like the character sprites and everything sound very familiar. So it just has kind of like a, even though it's, you know, no familiar characters or anything like that, it has like a weird uh, familiar feeling to it uh, that kind of uh, makes it a little easier to get into. If you've played Dragon Quest, that is. I'm going to say that's a fairly large percentage of our listener base. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's see here. Mystery Dungeon. Now, so far... Oh, yeah. No, I can't say that. Nope. What's his Sheeran? Sheeran. We'll look it up here in just a moment. See how, how much it costs to grab this guy on the DS. Probably yes. not very much, although it may have gone up. Because I, I think it's become sort of a, like a cult classic. You know, retro gaming prices, I tell you what, boys and girls, if you're into, like, SNES, NES, Genesis, God bless your heart. Um, okay, uh, looks like, uh, yeah, you can get a brand new copy for 16 bucks. You can get a used copy for about 10 I think it's worth okay, 10 bucks so there. Gone up price. <laughs> 10, 10, worth 10 bucks, Mike? <laughs> I would play, I would pay triple that. Okay. No, never, never say that. You have just eliminated <laughs> your entire bargaining position. 
I'm I'm glad that you're offering this to me for such a cheap price, but I'll gladly pay you more. <laughs> Where did you learn to barter, sir? Well, too much time trying to track down copies of uh, Panzer Dragoon Saga. Oh, good grief! Drove me mad. Okay, mm. yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but you know what? Sega Tassanshiro would not beat you up if you played the Sega Saturn. That's right. You would have to beat up Phil and Cassandra because they have never played the Sega Saturn. I swear I played a Sega well. Saturn. Maze Dreamcast, Saturn. Which one had no, uh, dream, which one had which Saturn. one had Knights? Saturn. 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 Okay, that's what I played. Uh, you played Saturn. Did you, did you play like a filthy re-release or something? Yeah. Hmm. No, I played it on the Saturn. I played the the um the one on the PlayStation three, four. The the kind of it it lost its magic for me a little bit. Yeah. Nights, the Nights into Dreams. Yeah, it's on PlayStation 3, I think, through the PlayStation Network Store. I, I believe I got it as a PS Plus game. So it's cool. It's still there. I mean, it's still the game I remember, and the emulation's spot on. You know what? Uh, it, it may not. It, it, it may have lost some of its magic, but it's working fine. At least it's not Baroque. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> See that segue right there? Uh, we're ready to talk about a Baroque. <laughs> Developed uh, by Sting Entertainment, published in North America by Atlas. This was released on a number of platforms, but I believe we got it here in North America on the PlayStation 2. This was originally released... And the Wii. Oh, and the Wii. That's right, that's right. Uh, This was originally released back on May 21st, 1998. And uh, we got it in North America on the PlayStation 2, April 8th, 2008. And then later on the Wii... Oh, actually, we got it the same day on the Wii. This is a, another single-player roguelike RPG. And who wants to talk about a Baroque? Because I, I believe I have it, but I have not gotten around to it. I think I'm the only one here who's played it, am I right? And the floor is yeah. yours, Miss Ramos. Okay, Baroque. So where in the world do I begin with this game? It's, uh, I mean, it's fairly standard as far as roguelikes go. Though your mission is to get to the bottom of the tower... The bottom, you somehow start at the top, even though you're in the outer world at first. Uh, you pick up items, you have a limited inventory. Some of them are, like, like the exact type is hidden, so you have to either find a way to examine it, or if you don't have any way to examine it, you can just experiment and see what it is. Hope it doesn't make you sick. Hope it doesn't, you don't throw it at enemy and it makes it invincible. Any number of fun things. That sounds like an awesome roguelike element. <laughs> well, it's pretty common. I That's swear, you're bringing back here. memories of, like, me picking up potions and not knowing what the hell is, like, red potion. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, like, question mark, question mark bones, and then you're just like, do I eat these? What if it makes me sick? So you right. throw an enemy and, whoops, it's invincible. That was stupid. Don't! <laughs> and then there's, uh, you know, attack, you know, uh, the battles is pretty simple. There's no real special attacks except for the main character. If you... And I don't know for the PS2, but for the Wii version, if you, uh, if you, I think if you shook the remote, maybe if you use a nunchuck, it, you would do a spin attack. Otherwise, it was just uh, regular attack, regular attack, or you use items. You have very basic equipment. You had a sword that you could modify with, with a few other items. You had a coat, which was your only form of armor. And you had these little props that they called fake wings that could also it had various enhancements. Uh, you had to deal with most a lot of standard status um, ailments and possibly one of the weirdest ones I've seen in the game, Lust, which made you see everything in the game as a woman in a robe. Like everything, items, enemies, it, they were all women and you had to wait until it wore off so you could tell the difference between a monster and an item. 
is it supposed to be attractive or are you just supposed to go okay that's 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 the one <laughs> i think it's supposed to be attractive but i mean yeah but, lust know. lust does not make me think i am going to admire you no it makes me think more slobbering cartoon images <laughs> And uh, let's see here. What else is there before I start getting into the mind screw of a story? Um, and, oh, yeah. Well, the way to advance it is up. The way to advance the game is obtuse. Uh, of course, if you die, you lose. Okay, here's the thing. To if you Just like in any roguelike, if you die, you lose all of your levels, any items that you have on you, and you restart from the beginning of the tower. There is a, there is a special character called the Collector. If you give... You give him directly items, or if there's these special orbs in the tower, you throw a few in them at a time, he'll keep them for you. So that's a good way to build up weapons and armor so you don't have to restart those every time. Uh, at, let me think here, what else? Well, as another thing is that you have to, at certain points in the story, you have to die in order to advance it. Or at least if you die, you might see a different cutscene that will clear up something else in the story. That, some, oh. Yeah. Why does that remind me only a little bit of uh, Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter? I've heard comparisons to the two, yes. Not that I'm saying they play anything alike, because I know they don't, but that that one element. Yeah, I heard that, that, you know, if you die, like, yeah, in this game, if you die, you can advance the story. Actually, when you do find a way to actually advance so the tower gets longer, because in a basic structure, you do something... And then the tower gets longer. Instead of being, like, 16 floors, it goes down to 32 floors or something. And then you keep going, then you go to the bottom again, and you extend it again. Although I think 32 is actually the limit for the main story. You can make it longer for post. And, uh, let me think here. What else is there? I mean, it's a, it's more, it's a, let me think here now. Uh, and the, I guess, I guess we could talk about the, it's almost, okay, Baroque is almost sort of a horror game, at least it's meant to be very grotesque looking, other than the, some of the characters, some of the overworld NPCs are meant to look really grotesque, because they've been distorted in some way, shape, or form. There's a girl that has these nasty horns growing out of her head, another that looks like she's, uh, trapped, like she's got like a, sort of like a cloth sack over her, or like her skin's been turned into it, there's a, uh, there's a man with a hideously long neck, and he's actually called Long Neck. That kind of yeah. makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Kind of sounds and, like the art style is more influenced by the Gothic period than the Baroque period. Well, again... No, wait. Yeah. No, no, Long long Neck, that's making me think of Land Before Time. That's, well, that's he's not, not what a, we want. not a sauropod. <laughs> okay. And again, the monsters in the tower themselves are pretty darn nasty looking, but you'll, you know, you'll kind of find out why along the way so it's got that it's like it's very atmospheric it's pretty atmospheric even the music like it makes you feel unsettled it's not memorable like you're not going to remember any of the tunes outside of it at least I don't but uh, like during the gameplay it's appropriately like kind of unsettling and creepy and okay so I guess I can get into the story then oh dear usually start beginning with you but there's just a lot to this uh so Baroque takes place after an event called the Blaze, which occurred, or will occur, in on May 14th, 2032. The world is engulfed in this supernatural heat wave, and it not only devastates the planet, but reality itself is warped. Everyone who survived has been distorted, and that's where all the people you see in the outer world. Somehow the main character, a uh, character you meet called the Archangel, and two other girls in the tower are not that disfigured for reasons that become apparent a little later. Except for the Archangel, there's really no reason he doesn't look all that creepy, but anyway. 
Uh, so many people have become meta-beings, which are those strange monsters you find in the tower, because they cling to their delusions. The delusions become Baroques, and then this warps them into monsters. Your hero is unnamed. You never get a chance to name him. You don't learn his name. And he's mute. And he's not, it's, not like he, it's not like Link, where he seems to kind of talk off screen. He, he can't talk. He loses his ability to talk for a reason explained a little later. Uh, he sees a vast, this strange-looking tower... And he has no memories, but he does feel guilty about something. He doesn't know what. He wanders around, and he meets a man, the man, the Archangel, and he has these giant fake wings. You see him on the cover of the uh, PS2 and Wii games. He tells the protagonist that the reason he feels guilty is because he committed a terrible sin, the sin of driving God insane, and that's why the world is devastated. That's a, that's a sin? Well, he basically, well, God basically made the world the way it is, warped reality and destroyed everything, so yeah, I guess. I guess there are more than seven deadly sins then. <laughs> the sin of insanity. But yeah, he tells the protagonist he must descend the Neuro Tower and purify the beings inside. And he also needs to purify the absolute God, which is found at the bottom. He is the only one capable of doing so, and the Archangel gives him a giant, weird-looking gun called the Angelic Rifle. This one, like, this is a pretty powerful item. It can one-shot enemies, but you really want to, like, he only has five bullets, so you have to make him count. So, okay, what's the best way? Because the series of events from here is even more confusing. That was just a setup. Uh, should I go through the whole thing, or...? Yes, please, this is interesting. It is, it is <laughs> fascinating when you unravel things, but even then, it's confusing, and some of this stuff I had to get from online sources, because there's a tie-in uh, game that was only released for the PS1 called Baroque Syndrome that acts as a prequel that clarifies a bunch of things. Because otherwise, you're just kind of getting in these disjointed pieces. And if you're if you're dumb like me and only play like for a few hours a week, you don't remember every bit of the story. <laughs> but anyway, so let me get on with this. Uh, four. Okay, the first trip through the tower, you only go up to five floors. It's actually a simulation by a bunch of scientists that's keeping the protagonist inside a chamber. He clears the floors, shoots the god, and then restarts the tower and starts for real. It goes down to sixteen floors. He can choose to shoot God or not, and this gets a slightly different scenario, and I think you can see different cutscenes depending on other things you do. If he does shoot God, uh, the Archangel will try to take the God's essence, its idea, Sephira, it's called. Instead, the protagonist will suddenly gain the ability to speak again and say, no, if I use this, I might be able to start over again. And he uses it and starts back at the beginning of the tower again, outside of it. If he chooses not to shoot and just kind of stands around for a while, you get this weirdly confusing scene of him falling off the tower. That becomes a little somewhat relevant later. Uh, let's see here. This, of course, resets things somehow. Eventually, you find a woman in a tower called Eliza. Uh, she's mostly not that strange looking, except she seems to lack arms. Just these, not arms, she lacks hands. Either that or they, she keeps them in her sleeves all the time. And very, like this very long stringy hair. Uh, she asks for pure water, and unless you look up a guide, I don't know how you're supposed to puzzle out that she's asking for the protagonist's idea, Sephira. And there's a convoluted series of events to get that from him, too. After you give her the, uh, the, uh, his, uh, the protagonist's idea, Sephira, she, that allows this tower to expand, and she says she's going to create more of these objects called um, consciousness orbs. Consciousness orbs are what you use to send items back to co to the collector, who then keeps them permanently for you, unless you take it back out. Uh, let's see here. Uh, 
after that, the tower extends to 22 floors. Also, at this point, you might have heard the voices and occasionally seen these creepy little baby angel things called the Littles. Uh, if you talk to and if you talk to an NPC called Doctor Angelicus, you find out that the Littles. Okay, if you thought this, okay, this is going to be. I don't know how this might sound weird or it might not. The Littles are beings of pure pain. They were extracted from the absolute God by Doctor Angelicus and the Archangel so that they can make God unable to feel pain. And then they also feed it corrupted data, which drives God insane. So already there you find out it wasn't the protagonist that drove God insane, but the Archangel. Someone else could then forcibly reintroduce pain to God, and that would, re that would destroy it and reduce it to its idea separate, its essence. The Littles are stuffed into bullet-like things called ampules and can be fired from the angelic rifle. So the rifle he's carrying basically fires baby angels of pure pain. <laughs> Stop me if this gets weird. <laughs> I think we passed that point a long time ago. <laughs> okay. okay, Dr. Angelicus then will ask for the rifle so that the Archangel won't be able to get the god's um, essence and use it because he basically wants to reshape the world thinking he can do a better job. And, I mean, granted, the world's pretty much a wasteland anyway, but maybe he'll make things worse. I don't know. They never really que he never really questions, like, is this guy really going to do a good thing? At this point, it doesn't sound like there's much of a difference between a good thing and a bad thing. <laughs> I guess the so. Earth. Okay. Uh, this also this allows the protagonist to go to the uh, the room where the little the, the littles are cultivated, and there the protagonist can get the littles' idea Sephira there it says, and the tower is made a little bit longer. On another tower run, the protagonist needs to give the the uh, the idea Sephira he got from the littles to a girl named Alice. She's also mostly uncorrupted, except she looks like she's got these tubes sticking out of her midsection. This gives Alice the ability to experience pain, and in turn, the Absolute God can feel pain again. They are somehow connected. You'll find out a little later. At this point, the game has... Ex okay, at this point, I put in the game's whole backstory, because it probably might have been communicated or not. If it doesn't, here's clarifying what the heck happened to the world. Before the Blaze, there's a religious organization called the Order of Malkoff, and they were losing power. The Order decided that they needed to bring God to Earth. I... I can't quite verify if it's true. I thought one source said that they actually created a god in a laboratory. Another just... And in the game, it said they just said they brought god to Earth. Another just said that they found god somewhere. I don't know. Either way. Either way, there's suddenly this strange reality-warping being on Earth. And wow. uh, let's see here. Afterwards, strange spheres appeared around the world. These are the consciousness orbs, the same one you find inside the tower. They allow god to gather information and compress reality. The Order of Malkoff then started to experiment on the orbs, because that's all the smart thing to do. And this caused reality to warp. People around the world gave into their delusions, and they turned into monsters, the meta-beings. So this is the start of that. Otherwise, I guess they, if they were delusional, it didn't warp them, whatever. The first person this happened to was the Archangel's sister. He's never named, by the way. And she died after being locked away in shame by their father. When the Archangel found out it was due to the Absolute God, he told the Order of Malkoff that God was trying to destroy them, and they had to stop it. The Order refused to listen to him, and that's when he devised a plan to uh, use the God to destroy it, get its essence, and then use its essence to recreate the world. Because he figured, one, it's corrupting the world, and another, he could probably do a better job. Uh, the Order tried to create artificial consciousness orbs to stop the distortion, but it only made them worse. And it didn't help that the Archangel was starting to feed corrupted data into the consciousness orbs, which further uh, made God crazy, because that was one way to try to destroy it. 
So in a last attempt to stop the warping of reality, the Coriel, a group of high-ranking members of the Order, came up with the what they called the Dabar Fusion. This would merge a human with the Absolute God to give God a voice and to stabilize it. They could speak to it and maybe tell it, hey, can you stop this, please? They picked the protagonist, who used to have a conjoined twin brother. The two shared a heart, and as they grew, the strain was too much on them. The Order chose to save one brother at the sacrifice of another by separating them. So that explains the weird scene where the protagonist seems to fall off the tower. It's basically them somehow sacrificing each other to save the other's life. Don't under- quite understand how that works, but yeah. The, so yeah, the guilt the protagonist feels is actually the guilt at, be- at surviving while his brother died. So because he felt empty, the uh, Coriel felt that he would be the best match for the absolute god. Two incomplete beings could become one complete being. So as the Coriel started the fusion, the archangel interrupted it, and this caused the blaze. So instead of fusing, the god, ju- you know, it's interrupted it, and God completely went insane and destroyed the world, or at least, like, turned it to a wasteland. Even though the fusion was incomplete, God took the ability to speak from the protagonist, that's why he's completely mute, and in return, the protagonist gained the ability to purify the monsters, the meta-beings. Uh, let's see here. She also, the god, that is, because for some reason, God took on a feminine form. Why not? And she created the uh, two characters in the tower, Elisa and Alice, as a way to fill in the void the protagonist left. So they are part of God, those two girls you meet. Does that so, mean if they die, then God will be injured? I, or yeah, they, I don't they, know if they can die. But... Probably, probably not. Probably not. So let's see here. So back to the present of the game. When the protagonist reaches the bottom floor for the final time, Alice and Eliza are there with him, and all three of them emerge into the absolute God. The absolute God does not restore the world, because as it turns out, even God can't do that, or at least this being that that everybody else calls the absolute God can't do it. But she does stabilize it. Every, so there's, I guess it's not as distorted and everyone left in the world accepts the world in this new altered state and they can at least have a future as weird altered grotesque beings in a wasteland it's but they're but not, they're no longer completely mindless right yeah they're not well they're not completely mindless no they can at least they so they can progress and maybe make things better on their own is the hope but no it doesn't magically make everything green and humanity can return to its former glory but I, least, I have to say that does, that's not a very absolute god. Then, well, I don't know. That I guess the order named it or something. Yeah, that could lend some credence to the it was created idea rather than <laughs> they brought God to Earth thing. And also, there's a post game where you can bring back Eliza, Alice, and the Littles to be like regular people you could talk to again. But this doesn't seem to have an effect on a story. And there you go. That was Baroque. If you couldn't follow it, I'm sorry. Well. <laughs> I, I think you explained it as well as could be expected, actually. Yes, yeah. I, I actually took a couple of hours to piece together everything because I figured <laughs> if I was going by my like purely by my memory, I would have been like, uh, um, then the protagonist, um, uh, oh yeah, the, the reason he can't talk is because oh yeah, did I tell you that had a conjoined twin brother? I I have to say, your mind gets broke just trying to wrap it around that plot. Indeed. <laughs> so, so it's twenty twenty dollars. I think yeah. that was about on. that was about ninety percent of our entire plot budget for this yeah, episode. For this whole yeah. episode between Pretty twelve much. games. Twelve twenty dollars, Cassandra, would you do it? Uh yes, actually, if only to experience this mind screw of a game. I kinda I, I, I like it's <laughs> it's not I wouldn't recommend it 
if you're if you don't like roguelikes and don't like obtuse things, uh, and uh, although you can put it on easy, which does make it probably you know probably blast blasphemously easy for a roguelike. I tried it on normal, and I just I got so annoyed I switched to, no- to easy. I I tell you, I'm really glad that you 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 painted this picture for us. I mean, normally with roguelikes, I focus on the mechanics, and when <laughs> I've read when I've read reviews and stuff, is focus on the mechanics. Um, <laughs> And, uh, but, and, and so I've been kind of turned off. I bought it because it's a roguelike and I, you know, it looked a little interesting, but when I read the reviews and got some feedback from my friends, I'm like, okay, that is way low on the backlog. But now that you've, you've, yeah, it sounds very original and like it, far yeah. out of left field Japanese, you know, anime manga crazy. Yeah. This, again, this stuff is crazy. Like it's just, I mean, it does have to be experienced. I think I wouldn't recommend it outright. Because it's again, it's you know, obtuse. You know who you are if exactly. you the If you like this sort of thing, pick it up. And you might, after you're playing, go look up like the whole, the complete, like maybe not the complete story. Even I had to piece this together from various sources. Uh-huh. But you know, it's the the whole thing is fascinating. Just don't do what I did and play like for a few hours over the course of months. Maybe try to finish it in like a month too. So. The story IDs are fresh in your mind. Well, you can you can get it. The... And you don't go, oh, yeah, he did say that back then. Now, here's the problem. Every time we talk good about so, a yeah, game at RPG... For roguelikes, it's fairly... It's like I guess mechanics-wise, it's fairly uh, by the numbers for the most part. But story-wise, wow. Yeah, and, and I'm a little concerned now because you've talked positive about this game. And every time we talk positive about a game at RPG Backtrack, it just flies off the shelves. Hello? Yeah, can you hear me? I heard you. Oh, okay, as long as I'm coming through there, and I'm worried that uh, that they're just going to sell on Amazon now because there's only seven left on the PlayStation Two and only one left on the Nintendo Wii. So they have to use eBay, Phil. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, you might have to dive into eBay for this one. But if you hurry up and you grab it, there's still one Nintendo Wii version left, which is what I have, and then there's a few PlayStation Two. So, uh, that is a Baroque. We're gonna we're gonna move on because we still got a kajillion games to do. Kajillion, and we are going to move on to Azure Dreams. Uh, Azure Dreams was developed and published by Konami, released on the PlayStation originally in Japan on November 13, 1997. We got it here in North America about half a year later, June 30th, 1998. There's also a Game Boy Color version that came out February 2000. Another roguelike RPG experience, single player. Um, and I might be the only one to play Desert Dreams. And I'll take that I silence didn't. as an agreement to that. So, uh, Azure Dreams, another another very much uh, rogue game. You've got you're in this town. I forget what the name is. Doesn't really matter. Big huge tower in the middle of this city, which must be conquered. There's a plot. Don't know what it is. There's a bunch of cute anime characters that you'll that you'll meet, and uh, they're cute, and they fulfill the the standard tropes. Kind of some supporting NPCs. But when he gets down to the dungeon, it's you, you, you know, you by yourself. Oh, and your animal companion. You, uh, you will find eggs inside the dungeon, if I recall correctly, and you'll be able to take those back to town and hatch them. And uh, when you when you get uh, out of a dungeon, like with most roguelikes, when you die, you reset your level and you lose everything. In Azure Dreams, um, I don't remember exactly what happens when you die, but I do remember that every time we went to the dungeon. I was level one. So your level always starts over again. However, your pet, he's a little bit more, um, uh, he progresses more. Uh, I can't remember if it's, basically he gets to keep his experience. 
but he was he was kind of tougher to begin with. Um, it, do, 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 do. You can also there's several different care. Oh yeah, there's a romance option. Huh? There's seven different characters you may develop a, ro- a relationship with because every roguelike is enhanced by romance options. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you get to the dungeons, well, random towers, traps, yeah. random hallways. No, think of all the- Think of all those random monsters that you can romance while wandering around the dungeons. I'm sure they'd have lovely things to say. Right? Yeah. Is it is it the monsters you romance? <laughs> Why uh, not? We're, we're, we're really reinventing the wheel this time. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, every let's see. Every time you enter the tower, you return to level one. However, familiars hatched outside the tower retain their current level. Uh, as such, progression through the higher levels of the tower lies on strengthening your familiars and your equipment. Uh, your weapons and shields, uh, that can be an uphill battle. Items add plus one to their attack or defense. Um, but yeah, there are rust traps that uh, unfortunately devalue them. And there seems to be a lot of those. Um, you can use weapons that don't rust, and that helps immensely in keeping the level ups on your weapons. Um, the three ways out is if you die, but then you lose all your equipment, as I read the notes here on Wikipedia. Um, you can sacrifice your familiar with a specific item. <laughs> don't worry, bud. I got your back. Bye. Or you can have wind crystals, which are very, very useful. That's how I probably got out most of the time. But they're very, they're kind of limited in supply. So kind of the fun of that was going in and not knowing if you find a wind crystal to get back out early on. Um, but it, we, Shirley and I played the heck out of this game uh, because it was kind of cute that you could you could find eggs, hatch little monsters, uh, grow them up, and... Um, and have a partner with you inside of the uh, the uh, you know this these these dungeon. So it's a PlayStation game, Azure Dreams. I don't recall if it's on the PlayStation Network. I'll I'll look that up while somebody else talks about another game. But uh, and I'll see if I can find some prices for you all. But I want to keep the ball rolling. But it was it was just a little. It was one of the highlights of the PlayStation era for me. Uh, in between Final Fantasy games. So, uh, let's go from, let's go from this little Azure Dreams, which I never heard from again, was a game all by itself, to a much more famous series. Let's talk about Pokemon Mystery Dungeon. Released, uh, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon. We'll start with the, we'll, we'll just name off the date of the first game, and then we'll let somebody else talk about, uh, the series. Because if I talk about it, it won't be very positive. Uh, Pokemon <laughs> Mystery Dungeon, Blue Rescue Team and Red Rescue Team. Uh, originally released in North America on September 18th, 2006. Uh, the rescue team, the Red Rescue Team was released on the Game Boy Advance. The Blue Rescue Team was released on the Nintendo DS. So, um, Cassandra, do you have some pleasant things to say? Uh, somewhat. They aren't spectacular games by any means. I've only played two of them, Blue Rescue Team and uh, Explorers of Sky. And you could totally tell Blue Rescue Team was originally, like, was like basically a slightly enhanced ga- like GBA game since the graphics really could have been just on a GBA. But uh, not much to say there, really. <laughs> On that particular one, it started the ser- you know started the series. Very basic story. Uh, you can recruit you can recruit Pokemon by beating them, and you had some percentage of a chance that they would recruit you, but only if you buy like the area that they live in or something to get them to join you. You get you choose a Pokemon by answering a bunch of questions, and there's like some slight randomness element to it. This applies to like the rest of the series, at least that part. You get a partner Pokemon. That you choose which one partner up with. Uh, there's, you know, it's just a fairly standard mystery dungeon, except I 
think this one gets classified sometimes as a roguelite because your levels do not restart every time you die. Which uh, is a bloody shame, actually. I would love to see Pikachu's blood just go up in the air when he dies and the screen fades out. And you just hear, Pikachu! Yeah, that would be awesome. And, and then it says game over and start level one again. The way nature I, intended. You know, Phil, I sense that if you send that memo to Nintendo of Japan headquarters, you will not get a response. <laughs> Oh. Uh, but did, did Cassandra did did did, did, did 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 or maybe it's a future game I'm thinking of uh, with the plot. Oh, but, that well, yeah. That, well, this one had a very basic plot. Oh no, there's some mysterious calamity coming. It's a meteor. Stop it. <laughs> and the uh, this it's the Explorer series. Explorers of sky. Explore no. Explorers of time. Explorers of darkness and explorers of sky. Uh, they stopped doing the whole split. You know, two versions thing after that game. I don't even understand why they have two versions in this case, but yeah, that one had a, like that one was like a basically like a good like a cheesy Saturday morning cartoon type plot. It's it like each chapter may as well just be called an episode. They're mostly self-contained, but there's this overarching plot in the background, uh, and it's you know it's not it's not exactly you know, it's not exactly groundbreaking or anything. It was probably kind of cool for back then since Pokemon didn't really have that deep a story. It wouldn't be until Black and White that it got a bit more interesting than that. Hmm. And uh, it's got. I admittedly don't have too much to say about these games. I just kind of wanted to mention them because the only other roguelikes I've played. Uh, Scott's uh, Ex- Explores the Sky has some really good music. Well, good music is good. I, I mean, I played a bit of the. So I played just through the the demo, and yeah, I played the one where you become a Pokemon. They're all be- they're, they're all you become. A oh, player. they all they basically a- they're basically all yeah. I guess that's the basic. You wake up one day and you're suddenly a Pokemon. You remember your name. You don't have any of your other memories, though. And it, it's the weirdest thing about this series that is that the, the Pokemon, like the the Pokemon world you're in, is apparently a world of only Pokemon. There don't seem to be any humans around. But they, the Pokemon themselves, like they don't ask what's a human, but they never say what happened to humans. Like, did they used to exist there? They never say, oh, those things that went extinct a long time ago, or those things out of mythology. Or never go. Oh, those things from another world. They just said, "Oh, you're you. you oh, you're a human once. That's cool. It's just that's a mystery never ever solved. At least not in these two. Uh-huh. Well, they have a very positive attitude, uh, given the fact that humans are running around with pokeballs trying to capture them and well, not subject them to world, a life of tiny little balls. Not in this world. And even then, it's like some, a few Pokemon mentioned, like, "Oh, there's a bond between humans and Pokemon." And another one go, but. We haven't seen a human. Like, how do they even know what humans are? Ah. So, uh, yeah, I just, uh, it, you're right they, to call it They just a, have really long memories. I guess. Passing, they've something. been passing down the stories. I guess. I mean, you've got legendaries, which are, you know, supposed to these uh, extremely powerful Pokemon that purportedly live for a long time. So who knows? Maybe that's true. Well, um, I, I think you're right to call it a, a rogue light. Yeah, rogue light. Yeah. Right. That was kind of like my main main beef with it. Yeah, I think, and I think, yeah, it just seemed like the battles were super super easy. They became kind of tedious. I, with normal rogue games, uh, you know, the difficulty at least once you get past the first few floors, if nothing else, you know, gets really difficult. And you have to watch every single move, and you have to think through every single mm-hmm. action, lest you meet a quick end. Because, and it really is tense because death has such a huge penalty associated with it. <laughs> it's pretty final. 
Um, so when, in Pokemon, they pretty much strip most of that. Which, you still have to start over the dungeon. And then it can, some of them get, get a little frustrating because at least for Explore, I can't remember uh, Blue Rescue Team, but for Explorers of Sky, if your partner Pokemon got knocked out, you had to get sent back too. So you had to watch out. That guy didn't you know, run off into some corner and get himself hit repeatedly. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'll... Though and uh, you could you also had um, you could also do the online which doesn't work anymore and the passwords thing if you want to get rescued out of a dungeon and it you know does happen occasionally if only because your partner is stupid enough to get themselves killed. Bad AI. We we'll yeah. never get used to that. Yeah. You can actually seems- increase their IQ to make them slightly you can make them smarter too. Though it took a very long time because you couldn't get the gummies. At least I never could get the gummies enough. Plus, at least for Explorers, I insisted on getting a wide variety of Pokemon that I liked, and that took a long time to build them up. And what really annoyed me about that game is that even after the sto- like after the main story was done, I still couldn't evolve my Pokemon avatar and my partner. I still had to do a bunch of weird post- post-story story. It, w- it went on for way too long. I see some people complaining that the newer games are too short. I- maybe that was a good thing, because the game, while interesting, overstayed its welcome, I think. Yeah, I think that's something I've been uh, noticing. I haven't played too many of these rogue games that where you have a, a full team, but uh, given Mike's comments on a certain other roguelike game, maybe it's just turn-based. It wasn't. Yeah, it was kind of roguelike, wasn't it? Etrian Mystery Dungeon. Oh, that, yeah, that mystery. was roguelike, and it had a team. It just kind of it did have a team. Yeah, yeah. yeah you well, could switch. You could switch among the team at any time, and the other three would just kind of do stupid things. <laughs> Just or like maybe they wouldn't. Dungeon. <laughs> or maybe they wouldn't. You don't know though, because you can't tell them anything. Exactly what? like Pokemon Mystery Dungeon. What? What? You want to heal me when I've only down nine to ten? When I've only down ten HP, and instead that thing over there is trying to slam us into the ground instead of using your attack spell? Well, thanks for nothing, moron. You know, it's just uh, it seems like to me that some of those the games get away from the what makes you know Rolex really and you know fun is that you are a one man army. You're starting off weak. You're going to build up, and that doesn't seem like it would be as deep as strategic as having a whole team. But when you have, let's say, going back to Zogbond again, when you have so many different character and race options, you have tons of items, a lot of them randomized in their abilities and such. You've got a you know huge inventory list, and you're dealing with monsters with all these different abilities. Being one person is all the strategic, you know, has all the strategic whatever you need, all options that you need to approach the game, you know, many, many, many different ways. You never get bored with that, even though it's just one character. You don't need a full team. It's okay. It's okay. Having a bunch, and that's what Pokemon Mystery Dungeon kind of proved to me, was like, having a team of a bunch of characters, but with only a few abilities each, water Pokemon, electric Pokemon, whatever, water attack, dash attack, or a couple of items, meh. And it was easy. That didn't help. Hmm. Nope. I've seen, like, I've seen at least the Explorer series seems to be like a bit of a, like, a, a bit of a fan favorite. I, a lot of the places I get is that a bunch of them played it when they were, like, pre-teens or younger, so chalk it up to nostalgia, maybe. I mean, if you, hey, if anybody out there likes it, I mean, you know, by all means be my guest, but oh, yeah. as a 29-year-old playing this game, I thought it was cute, it overstayed its welcome. Mm-hmm. And that's and again maybe before Black and White this would have been a, a pretty engaging story for a Pokemon game, but after oh. Black and White, not so much. You know, I think that kind of brings up another point too. Is um, 
is is overstaying its welcome and the such. One of the things I remember from the demo, normally when you're playing, uh, you know, a roguelike game, because the monsters move usually at the exact same time or right in between when you move a square, they move a square. Mm-hmm. And especially with the text-based versions, this can go very, very quick. If you know exactly what you're doing, the first few levels can just fly right by because you know you're just going to go in and do it and it's the game's going to keep up with you speed wise uh when they started introducing all these graphics and animations some of these games and i want to say sure might have irritated me a little bit for this but some of these games it's like the movement takes a few seconds as it's playing the anime the attacks take a few seconds and when you're doing the same early floors over and over again that can get irritating um all that extra padded time but with pokemon mystery whatever it was more like yeah you don't need to do the dungeons over and over they're pretty easy for the most part but they were so like you said the the the, the talking the text and the fact you got a party members that you know each one's got to take a turn and action you got to pick from a list it, yeah it, it kind of slows down the action a lot i could see that getting well well at least with the that part in, in mystery dungeon while the ai like the the other ai things kind of just do their own thing mm-hmm. you have like a sort of shortcut system to use your moves or you could just simply attack oh that helps I, yeah, so that that part didn't slow down. It was just the fact that it had it was fairly long uh, story mode, and then a lot of post story stuff. And plus the fact that you had a team of four that could take a long time to get through. You can dash through the dungeon, but then you could end up missing something. Well, it's uh, if you're a huge Pokemon fan, uh, those games are still uh, pretty affordable if you want to give it a shot. Uh, they're ranging from about fifteen to thirty dollars. Um, Zer Dreams, it's not on the PlayStation Network, unfortunately. They really need to bring it out. Uh, good luck getting a copy of that for under 50 bucks. In fact, I see a used copy here for 100 um, There's one for 25 Is it complete or just the disc? Yeah, right? There's one for 25 and that is the just the art. <laughs> it's $25. It's just the back cover art and the jewel case only. Oh yeah, you don't even get the game for twenty five bucks. <laughs> so good luck with the Zero Dreams. It really, uh, it pretty much is a is a classic. Uh, well, going on from one well known series to another, as these different uh, well known IPs uh, dip their toe into the roguelike uh, formula. Dungeon, yeah. yeah, we get into Final Fantasy Fables Chocobo's Dungeon. This was uh, developed by Hand, published by Square Enix. This was released on the Wii, and it says Nintendo DS, uh, in Japan only. Uh, this was released in North America on July 8th, 2008. Uh, and this one is a little different, as it is a single and multiplayer rogue RPG experience. Is everyone scratching their heads going, wait a minute, multiplayer? How does that work? <laughs> is that where you hand around the controller to everybody? Uh, I don't know. I did play this. I did not play with other people. <laughs> I played it by myself. Uh, did you what's play the, this what's one? What's the matter? You should have obviously been playing I, with it. I know, right? Did, did you play this one, Cassandra? Nope. Uh, yeah, you you know, you're playing Chocobo, and uh, people can talk to Chocobo for some reason. I don't know. I, I There was a little bit of a you know, conversation going on back and forth between uh, the town people and Chocobo. He's a really little, fat little Chocobo. He should be called a Chickabo. He looked like a little chick. Um, and I guess... I'm going to try to pull some things out of my memory here while I try to quickly pull up the Wikipedia entry. It's been a few years. Uh, I did spend more time with this, though, than um, than Pokemon Mystery Judge. Of course, that was just a demo, but I, I didn't get through the demo. Uh, I actually bought this disc and played it. Um, shoot. One of the cool things about this game... <clears throat> So there's different dungeons around town. You got to work your way through them. They have bosses at the end. Uh, I believe the dungeons were randomized. 
Um, dying probably kicks you back out of the town. It's not a hardcore uh, rogue, that's for sure. It, it can't be with a really cutesy little chocobo on the front. And that boy who looks so forlorn. Ugh, he's got <laughs> green hair. He looks like he's on dope or something. Anyway, uh, one of the cool things I remember about this game, though, is that you could pick different classes before going into the into the dungeon. I don't remember the exact mechanics for it, but it was really cute seeing Chocobo wearing like a black wizard hat or wearing full plate armor as a paladin or a knight. And that would affect your stats, your abilities in the dungeon, uh, and the such. So that was a neat little twist. I, I kind of feel like, you know, the further you get along with Rogue, when we talk about Rogues, they seem to be stripping away more and more options. There's, in fact, some of these games we've talked about, you are just you don't even get to pick classes or races. It's just you're this character, and the depth is in the items. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, with, with Chocobo, at least, you got to try out different classes before you, you jumped in. They all had their strengths and their weaknesses. And to its credit, the game got... The, the, the game gets a bit hard um, as I was about a dozen hours in or so uh, you kind of you kind of hit uh, you hit a uh, hit a difficulty spike so but I didn't re- you know I felt it was it was it was pretty fun but not enough to keep me going all the way uh, through uh, through the end it does have really pretty graphics it is really cute with the, with the chocobo and um, you know him uh, wearing his different outfits and talking to the people and stuff so that's pretty neat but uh, it, it's worth looking into if you're a huge fan of roguelikes or just chocobos. But just thought it was cute. I think I actually have a plushie somewhere of the uh, that chocobo in a white mage outfit. Where did it go? <laughs> ah, chocobo. He's really cute. Mm, I'm going to guess that was made in Japan. Yes, I got it from a convention. I just don't know where. Eh, this could be somewhere. Oh, yeah. That'd be really cute. Shoot. Let's see if it's still on Amazon. Is chocobo still white? Well, there's a listing. Hey, and it's available for only sixty dollars. Wow. Well, I don't think I would pay sixty dollars. You might want to try to find that <laughs> one used. Yeah, if you want want to give it a shot, it, it, it's cute. Like I said, I just felt like eh, wasn't quite there for me. Let's move on to Izuna. Is Michael Apps back? Guess not. He had to run off for just a second. Hopefully, he gets back because you don't. Oh. I'm here. Oh, there here. he is. All right, ready to talk about Izuna? Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Zuna, The Legend of the Ninja, developed by Success Ninja Studio, released in North Legend America. Of the no, 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 no. Ninja. Yes, yes, you said the title wrong. What? Unemployed Ninja. No, no, it says right here on Wikipedia on the screen <laughs> box. I'm reading the screen box. I'm not reading what somebody typed because people make mistakes when they type crap in. But on the, the screenshot that's captured here, it says Zuna, The Legend of the Ninja. Hey, I wonder if this is because it's a screenshot of the PAL version of the box. Is it like in, in, in European countries, they, they really frown upon unemployment, so they had to force <laughs> them to change the name? No, they don't. What? It says you, right... It, unemployment is much higher in most countries of Europe than it is in maybe, North but, America. So they're trying to fight it instead of encouraging it by not allowing game developers to put unemployed ninja <laughs> on the front of the box. I kid you not, I'm, I'm linking you the image right now on Skype. That's the image I'm looking at. It says Azuna, the Legend of the Ninja. It doesn't say anything about no unemployment check or anything along those lines. It says... Izuna, it was released in Europe. Here it is. Here's the notes. It was released in Europe as Izuna, the Legend of the Ninja. So I think Europe just is frowning upon yeah, unemployment. That, that, that does look like a European label. And not- yeah, yeah, that looks like a Peggy. You know, All right, fine. In America, Izuna, Legend of the Unemployment Check Ninja. 
Um, yay. yay. This, uh, this was... Uh, no, they, they call it going on the dole in Europe, not unemployment. Oh, maybe that's why. They, they, they should have said Azuna, the ninja on the dole. Uh, this was released in North America on February 20th, 2007. And uh, this says it is an action RPG dungeon crawler, but we all know it's really a rogue, <laughs> roguelike... What are you laughing about? The du- There's a dungeon in there, I think. So I think there are, like, oh, there are kind of dungeons. Dungeons. Bad, bad name at that point, so they kind of wanted to hide the rogue. <laughs> rogue. The rogue. They want to tarnish the fine name of rogue. Um, shoot. So talk about Izuna. Uh, she's a very Valley Girl-esque ninja, and she manages to go to... She goes on a trip, and she manages to anger the gods who protect a village, and they curse everyone inside it, and she has to go inside each dungeon to talk to the god and tell the god, could, could you uncurse the nit? Could you, like, uncurse the not village, please? Because I'm, like, really bored now. Because, you know, nobody's giving me anything, and I can't do anything in the town until you uncurse them. Could you, like, totally let them up and go and so that I can get out of here, please? That is pretty much a uh, verbatim transcript of the game, I think. If people are going to think this, that's like a joke, but that that is actually a good summary of the game. <laughs> uh, yeah, then she goes into each dungeon, and um, it's uh, it's a roguelike in each dungeon, and um, uh, it starts out easy, and then it gets nasty. I this is the game. This is the game where I got so so ticked off that I actually smashed my DS screen. Dang! <laughs> wow, that's some hate. Yeah, I was not happy this game at all. I think it started around the time all the traps started hitting me, and of course, since it's a roguelike, they're random, so... Oh, you just hit the random trap that makes you throw your inventory all over the floor? Ha <laughs> oh, ha! I hate those. Surround, I hate those. You with enemies? Oh, oh, those are always fun. Those are always fun. <laughs> oh, Baroque. Oh, you just hit the trap that makes anything that is made of paper in your inventory instantly catch fire? Ha <laughs> ha! Anything that rots the food? Remember that in Baroque? Uh, I don't remember, honestly. I didn't list all of them. I'm looking <laughs> at my review to, ref- to refresh my memory on this. This is how these reviews are very helpful. They allow my poor, deluded memory to be relieved of some things. Uh, oh, and then it, then it gets even cuter. It, uh, it starts introducing limited sight. <laughs> like Almost like Fog of War and Fire Emblem, except not at all, because that's tactical fighting, and here it's just random, so... What's in the fog? I don't know. Go find out. <laughs> uh, What's in the fog? Probably death. Let's be honest. It's probably death. Probably, yes. Uh, I also remember late in the game you find these lovely, lovely things that take down your level. Those were just joy. Yay! I mean, level loss. You, that's just freaking full. Level loss. Everyone's favorite feature in RPGs. Exactly. Don't you too love the idea that you could lose an hour of work just because some stupid random enemy comes along and taps you on the shoulder? Because, of course, another random thing is your accuracy. Oh, Aww, you, you keep missing things. Well, that's just too bad. Keep going. Maybe you'll hit it this time. Ninja harder, damn it. Ninja harder. Look at her. Maybe that's the explanation. She goofed off too much in her ninja studies. Uh, yeah, she's not oh, a yeah. very good ninja. She's probably Weapons. the worst ninja. There's a reason why she's unemployed. Mike Minky fired her. <laughs> I did fire her. She's actually fairly... I fired her off. Okay, random fun fact. She the, she appears as a secret unit in Rondo of Swords, which is a strategy RPG. She's actually pretty good. 
she, this is another character, some other ninja I can't remember. That's um, of course Rondo of Swords is a completely different kind of game. <laughs> I know, just saying that she's actually useful there, not useful in our own game apparently. Uh, there's this there's this system where you can stick talismans onto your weapon and make it better, but that also increases its breaking potential. Oh, at, breaking weapons! And of course, um, that's just a joy when you can use your weapon and it breaks, and then you're stuck there. Um, this the sequel was better. That's not very hard. <laughs> okay, the sequel was a lot better. I, I played this one, and I certainly didn't go all the way through it like you, but I was definitely very frustrated. Yeah, saying that the sequel is better is kind of like saying, hey, there are games better than Mugen Souls, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, everything in the history of games. Actually, that that may be a, a slight exaggeration, because I can probably come up with some games that I hated more than Azuna, but not very freaking many. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, if, and just to rub it in, at the end you get access to a bonus dungeon that starts you from level one, instead of having all Yay. those pesky levels that accompany you the rest of the game, because that... I don't recommend this game. It was, I think of the things Atlas USA could have brought over on the DS instead of this and lament the horrible waste of time that it entailed. Yes, the script is cute. This is by the time where Atlas was always throwing out good localizations. That doesn't matter. If you play a roguelike, especially this kind of roguelike, for the story, you're ha- you're in for a rough time, pal. I'm sorry. Yeah. Again, Eugen Souls had a good localization too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I hear this. I hear NISA is also a really good company for the most part. Good people can be forced to do bad things. Again, a a good script can't save a poor game. I think I'll stick to Rondo of Swords for my Azuna. I know Mac will support you in that. (laughs) And maybe I will too once I finally play that thing. But it's not a roguelike, so we shouldn't be talking too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, uh, the pain. So the sequel is better, you say. Uh, care to quickly say why? Uh, I don't know. It's been a while. It had more. It had more features and like different characters you could play as. So it's more okay. interesting. Oh. Th- those those could be good. Yeah. Yeah. It's more well defined instead of a steaming pile of dog poop. I'll go. I'll be slightly kinder and say that it's a not any more steaming pile of dog. Mm. It's been outside for a bit. <laughs> I don't know if that's kind. Actually, I I don't know what I'm. I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> uh, shall we move on, Phil? I don't know this carnage, man. Woo! What else do you What else do you want me to slam in Azuna's face? How about, I don't think there's much else to say. How about you slam the attitude of an unlosing ranger with ZHP, unlosing ranger versus dark death. Is it dark death? Dark death. Dark death. Dark, dark death. Evil, dark death. Dark evil, man. evil man. It is really small print. Oh, I guess I should read the top where it's much bigger. Yeah, this is developed by a Nippon. Oh, wait a minute, I totally skipped a. Oh, I totally skipped out of order. Well, we'll go back to it in just a minute. I, I must have moved a tab on accident. I had these in... Oh, no, no, that's the right order. Uh, this was uh, developed by Nippon Ichi Software, published by NIS America, released on your PSP in North America on October 26, 2010. Uh, this says tactical role-playing single-player game, but we all know it is a roguelike. 
and it's a roguelike with a pretty funny damn funny story the, the mm-hmm. kind of story you would expect from NIS America or Nipponichi or whoever made it it was really funny I liked it yeah. I played this for the story I mean the gameplay is pretty decent but dang it the story was fun I like the story what's the story I like it I tell like a lot about sto- this game t- tell us the story Mike um, you get killed by Dark Death Evil Man at the end. Okay, it's really cool. You're like walking across the street and you get, wait, the superhero. The superhero is the one who gets killed, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see here. Let me find it. Da, 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 da. Yeah, a uh, new ranger arrives to fight Dark Death Evil Man. Wait a minute. Is this the one? Da, 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 running late. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. The game begins with the action, with the absolute victory, unlosing ranger, Parohiko Ichimonji, running late for his climatic battle due to oversleeping, as he, which is a typical Japanese hero thing, as he rushes to confront Dark Death, the evil man. He is hit by a passing truck and killed. Pretty funny. Big superhero killed by a truck. Before dying, uh, Parohiko hands his morphing belt, sound familiar, to a random passerby, the silent main character, you yourself. Forcing him to inherit the title and duties of the absolute victory, unlosing uh, ranger. And uh, over the course of the story, so you're you're basically a new superhero, and you go and you try to fight the big bad guy, but you just get your ass completely, <laughs> utterly, you know, kicked. And he feels bad. He's like, "Oh, th- this ain't right." You know, come back again. So you got basically this is this is a way for this is an excuse for you to go out and, and level up. And then the way you do that, aside from of course the dungeon aspects, we'll get to in a second. But uh, there's people all around the earth who need help. They they feel they feel depressed because their lives are in really really bad places so um uh by by changing their lives and you do this by interacting with the spirit spirit and i'm getting some of the details messed up people it's been a few years but uh from what i remember you are interacting in these dungeons with the spiritual counterparts of these people their personas or whatever you want to call it but long story short as you complete dungeons you turn around these people's lives and they they basically realize ZHP helped them somehow. He's given them the courage to face another day. So they they put their faith in the ZHP unlosing ranger and you get a little bit more power because somebody else now believes in you. And it's kind of interesting because you see these people at the beginning as they're all watching you. You know, they're like, oh, yay, he's going to defeat the big evil guy. So you get to see them at the beginning and then as the story goes on, you meet each one of them, so to speak, as you help each one through their problem. Um and uh it's really really hilarious but yeah you get killed and it's um uh you know i forget some of the other details go check out wikipedia but it, it's really funny it's a really cool story uh go and check it out uh the gameplay as you're going through dungeons it's a mix what was our game i thinking of that it mixes uh mike what would you say it's a combination of roguelike and what just sky a little bit sky a little bit yeah yeah, so I mean, because you'll see some. Yeah, I mean, definitely the artwork, and I don't know if does it cross some monsters too. Some of the monsters come over that look like they're from Disgaea. Uh, don't remember. Probably, probably does. It's been a while since I played this one. Been a while, but, but it, it's it's got it's got like the look. Yeah, definitely got the look. Like, well, like I think there was pretty. Yeah, they probably, but you know, normally Rogue like has like that top down look, but instead it uses like the isometric uh, view. Isometric which view, which is a little interesting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's you know, that's really cool. It also uses like, like um, elevation as well, I believe, mm. like going upstairs and things like that. 
Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I remember is, so you go into a dungeon, you're going to go and kick things butt, you're going to level up as you beat them. The gameplay moves really fast, like a, like the original Rogues. Um, there is a little bit of animation in there, but the enemies will move at the same time or right after you do, and I, or right after, I think. And it's pretty it's pretty quick. Um, you'll, you'll level up. You can pick up items. You, in fact, you go in, well, I think you can go in with some items, but you're pretty much, for the most part, going in stark naked. Um, there's only so much you can carry in or store or something. There are restrictions. You can't just go in you know, completely armored. I think you can take a few things or save a few things. But um, uh, So one of the things I remember doing is you'll want to find food because there's a food mechanic. You will get hungry, and you need the food to keep healing as you're walking around. And you will take quite a bit of damage, so you need to heal as you're going around. Um, instant healing items are few and far between. Uh, there's some healing packs on the ground and stuff that you can walk over to instantly heal yourself as well. Um, you can also consume them for a little bit of food later on. But the food mechanics important. I think if you're starving, you lose health too, so that, that doesn't really help. Um, you'll find armors, weapons. Some of them are usable, some of them aren't. Uh, you can throw them at enemies. Speaking of that other game we were talking about earlier, where you can throw stuff from the Genesis days. Um, that that mechanics here, and then and um, you, you can equip tank legs. Yeah, it's got really it's like in scale fashion. It's got the wackiest crap that you can equip, and and it, yeah, it actually shows up on your character. So it's really cool as you're just kind of tank legging around the dungeon. That is hilarious. Uh, you can really have your pimped out, uh, wicked looking character. It, it was just a lot of fun. When you uh, when you die, and inevitably you will the first few times, um, you will um, you go back. You start off at level one, but if I recall correctly, the levels that you earn so far, let's, let's say you get to level 20 or 30 or 40, it goes into a pool of, of, let's say, your overall levels. It's a statistic that's kept somewhere. And as you hit so many numbers on that statistic, um, your base stats go up a tiny bit. So it is helping you in the future when you do future um, dungeon delves. If you die, you lose all your crap. You really don't want to die. You want to get out either through the... I forget exactly how you get out, but there are, there are legitimate ways to get out. Maybe a warp item or something. Or just complete the dungeon will warp you out. Um, because it's broken up in the chapters. Eventually, you'll, you'll, meet a bo- you'll get to a board with a boss. You'll get to a floor in the dungeon. Um, and if you, if you escape normally, then you can keep some of your items combined and make them a little bit stronger. There's also, very much in the vein of Descale almost, but there's a, there's a, a, a map of your body where you can, uh, where you can put items into it. No, is it items or? I forget. It's something like that. Yeah, I forget the exact mechanic, but I believe you can put down items to strengthen parts of your body, and there's a, a puzzle mechanic involved where you can channel uh, major items into each other to give yourself extra bonuses to, uh, to your base stats, so to make your character even more powerful. Just like Disgay, it's almost begging you to figure out how many different ways you can make your character overpowered and a little bit broken. Um but despite the fact that, I mean, on one hand, Disgaea is all about becoming, grinding up to become overpowered and broken. On the, on the other hand, that might seem kind of at odds with the fact that, uh, you know, roguelikes, a lot of their enjoyment comes from the fact that they're very difficult. You're always on the edge of your seat about dying or not with your next decision. Um, this game does a pretty good job of balancing the two. You don't quite ever get, dis- at least in my playthrough, I never got Disgaea level of broken or anywhere close. But I, I did feel like I was becoming very powerful. Um which was needed towards the last few battles. So I don't complete very many games, as those of you listening know. I completed this game. 
because of the story and 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 the the final few fights uh worlds whatever they were called were pretty darn hard some grinding is needed there um to get your base stats up and to get some good uh good uh, items that you can rely on but uh it was worth it it was fun so and it's in the palm of your hand great for those long flights so i enjoyed it and i'm sure you could still get off the psn storm i think C-H-P-P-S-N. I think it actually isn't there for some strange reason. Don't Don't quote me on that, but I remember some funkiness with that, although it may have been resolved by now. Legal thing? Uh, Maybe. No, I think, I think it may have been one of... So this has happened with a few PSP titles. It may have been one of the PSP titles that had, do for whatever reason, allowed people to uh, hack the Vita. Ew. Interesting. Yeah. Ew. Uh, I am on the PlayStation Store now, and yeah, it's not coming up real quick. We didn't find anything or ZHP. Let's just try unlosing. Yeah, that's sad. Oh well, I got my copy. Ha <laughs> ha. So, I sadly did not get the PSN version. Did, so. Is is that a was that ever released on UMD? Yes. Ooh, so yeah, you can still have, get that. The, yeah, I have the UMD, but I can't. There's no way to get it on my Vita. Yeah, you can get the like, UMD for uh, oh, brand. Of course, our our listeners demand brand new in the shrink wrap for a hundred and forty dollars. Oh, jeez, yeah, a little chump change. <laughs> uh, okay, you might want to get one of the used Lord copies. One of those limited NIS releases sounds like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can you can you can scrounge up a used copy for around forty. It looks like uh, eyeballing. Uh, you know, apps is is right though. I mean, uh, I would have much much rather have the uh, the PSM version. Not only was it a lot cheaper, but uh, but having it on the memory stick as just like something you can go to and pop in a few you know hours here and there, as opposed yeah. to hogging up my one and only UMD spot, which I tend to save for my more epic games. Um, yeah, I, I have to say that's a little bit of a d- uh, downer. But yeah, I don't see it on the store. By the way, just as a little aside, we we talk a lot. Of, uh, people hear me talk about all the time how the, Z, uh, the 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 PSP is an awesome retro gaming device, primarily because of the huge uh, number of like PlayStation One games that uh, that work on it. Plus, you know, a whole bunch of other PSP uh, release titles that are found on the PSN as well as on UMD. But uh, the PSN st- uh, store on your PSP is recently closed. <laughs> uh, you can't. They they're saying you can't buy games on there now. I fired up my PSP a couple of days ago, and I was able to pull up the store. I didn't try buying anything through it. But if it's true that that functionality is shut down, like let's say I try to go check out, and eh, it doesn't work. My understanding is you can still go to store.playstation.com. You can still buy them, and then you would use in the on your PSP. You use the download option to go ahead and download it. So you can still buy the games. They were just either not updating the store anymore, or not really actually maintaining the storefront uh, functionality through the PSP I, anymore. I, I don't think it's actually closed yet. I think they just set a date. Ah. So you said today, yeah, because it was still on mine because I had to go in uh, total. I'll save it for the final lap. Uh, We'll talk about my PSP frustrations later if I remember. But uh, but regardless, if you can get a get a hold of ZHP on Losing Ranger, it is one of the roguelikes I absolutely do recommend. Another roguelike I recommend is Tales of Majial. And uh, there's no exact release date. This has been kind of an open source thing. I would say that the quote-unquote final release, if you want to call it, because it's something that's constantly um, being developed on and worked on, was around 2010. Uh, and then I, it came to my attention. It's a free download, but it came to my attention when they did release a retail version on GOG uh, with some F- extra spiffs and stuff. They made it very clear 
that uh, I, I, or at least I read it somewhere at the time that I was considering the purchase that it was a free to download. Uh, game off of their website, so you're more than welcome to go there. Um, I and what's really interesting is that I believe in its in its original iteration, it's a ASCII game. <laughs> but when I'm looking at their website for the free download, there are, there is a tile graphic overlay which looks pretty similar to my GOG version. So I, I I don't really know what exactly all the differences are between the GOG version and the free version. I personally could spare a few bucks because it wasn't very expensive. It was like five bucks or something. Uh, so I went ahead and supported the developers. Um, uh, and not to mention I like having everything in one handy place in my GOG library for my old games. Uh, it is not an old game, but it is definitely an old school style game. Um, it is it is a dungeon. It is a good old fashioned uh, roguelike dungeon crawl. It, it, like Zogbon, it does have an overworld. In fact, you start in an overworld, uh, and depending on, I believe it's depending on the class that you've chosen, uh, there is a little bit of a different introduction for each character, like the initial quest or opening area or so. Um, and it can be played fully with a mouse, unlike the original ASCII games, even those with the tile-based um, overlay. Um, and it's saying here in the notes that despite permadeath, the player can earn extra lives through various ways of leveling up. All I can tell you is I never found out because I was too scared to die. And where at times it looked like I was really close, I, I just kept running away. I, I have not gotten <laughs> super, super deep into this game, so I'm sure it gets much harder and people are going to die eventually. But I'm one of those scaredy cats in roguelikes, so I, I really try not to find out what the death mechanic is on purpose. Um... But uh, the tactical-based combat in this game is very, very deep with the different classes, different abilities that you have to manage on cooldowns and, and resource costs, plus the items you're picking up. Uh, your ability to dis- make decisions and execute strategies you're coming up with is a level of depth that uh, approaches what uh, approaches like the gold box um, uh, tactical games that I'm all the time. Uh, praising uh, it really does make you think through uh, every turn and that's with just one character um, you've got nine races 25 classes expandable with add-ons so similar to Agabon you're not going to get uh, tired you don't have to play the same game twice um, some of the choices aren't available at first they're unlocks so I know some people like the idea of earning and unlocking things so um, you'll you'll find out you can do that there the uh, there is a bit of a plot. The, the world has lore in it, unlike a typical uh, roguelike game that just says, "Here's the dungeon, go for it." Uh, they they've added some 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 plot and uh, lore um, and the such in there, and it's non-linear. It's you go out and do your you'll get some quests and stuff, but you go out and do your thing when you're ready to do it. Uh, and then there's the big old ass dungeon. The uh, it's been really well received. It won. Uh, it was awarded the ASCII Dreams Roguelike of the Year Award for 2010, 11, and 12. And uh, in case you think that's just a small, tiny thing of some boys in the basement uh, voting, it had over 5,000 roguelike players voting in 2012 when it won on that year. Uh, It's also been accepted in the Valve Steam store, which is a lot further than Zogbond ever got. (laughs) So um, uh, it's got pretty good reviews and the such. It, It really is the epitome... Uh, or close to it of the old school 
roguelike games with the with the caveat that yes it has graphical overlay and some story to it but when it comes to difficulty when it comes to tactical depth when it comes to what the hell's going on i, I gotta learn through experience um tough you know t- uh, tough difficulty level and consequences for dying severe consequences for dying that that really keeps you on the edge of your seat uh tales of magial hits it on the nose so i highly recommend you go and check that out you can get that from gog or steam or you can get it for free if you just want to you know try it out and then if you like them you can donate some money um you can do it that way that as well nice. that is pretty cool that is an awesome that is an awesome thing it's it's really cool now something that isn't free but i'm sure mr apps mr apps will tell us is no less cool because he has sold me on this even though it hasn't mm-hmm. come up on my backlog yet i haven't played it yet but i bought this solely on his praise report it is the guided fate paradox Developed by Nippon Nichi Software, published by NIS America, released here in North America on November 5th, 2013. A dungeon-crawling, role-playing, single-player, roguelike experience for your PlayStation 3 system. Michael Apps, go! So this is kind of a spiritual successor to ZHP, um, pretty much from a gameplay perspective, because the story is wildly pretty different. Uh, so the character you play is like a high school student. No, 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 we're done. That's where you had me. That's when I went and bought the game. When you told me it was a successor to the awesome <laughs> ZHP and, uh, yes. uh, you know, took it up a notch. I'm like, done, done deal. We can stop the podcast now. <laughs> okay, fine. Tell them about the other stuff, I suppose. Okay, so you play a the main character is a high school student. Uh, you know, kind of starts off as this kid complaining, oh, I never win anything kind of a little down, wins some random lottery, and becomes God. God? Yes. That's not, that's not your usual lottery prod. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a Nippon Ichi game, that's probably a pretty standard uh, lottery prize. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'll go with that. Sure. How, so many other li- how many other lottery prizes have there been in Nippon Ichi games? <laughs> Good question. Um, so he kind of gets brought to I think they call it Celestia or something like that to work with the angels and basically like trying to power him up I think they call him like a god candidate or something like that um, but this is all just a weird convoluted setup to the interesting dungeons you're going to go through but the whole idea is uh, you're answering prayers and what they do is like certainly will sound like a Japanese anime inspired game they load the prayer data into a computer and you're basically going through like a simulation and somehow going through the simulation and helping out people affects the real world uh, okay in, sure but, why not which which interesting is kind of the prayers you're answering because it's not like you know just random regular people it, some of the later ones are just kind of deal with the main characters and things like that and story wise are less interesting but like the first one is you're answering Cinderella's prayer and you're kind of going and altering the original Cinderella story essentially so that it doesn't end with oh the you found my putting the slipper on her yeah so it doesn't end with oh you found my shoe let's get <laughs> married it's more like oh you found my shoe let's get to know each other and it that right there really kind of threw me for a loop because it's wasn't expecting anything like that, especially out of a Nippon Ichi game. And some of the other, uh, you know, some of the other storylines you go through in the dungeons aren't necessarily as interesting, but they at least try to be interesting. And 
really totally unexpected. This this game in general threw me for a loop. In, di- in addition to kind of doing some interesting things with this whole weird you're a student who's now God setup, uh, they do some really interesting things with the dungeons themselves. So, for example, one of the dungeons, instead of kind of your traditional going through uh, wandering around trying to find the exit. Um, I forget exactly what the setup is, but basically there's something kind of chasing you down, so you can only go in one direction. So it's kind of like you have to find the best best path to the exit on that level as you're trying to escape, like, I don't know if it's a wall of monsters or a wall or just kind of coming to crush you or something like that. But essentially you're moving in one direction. And let me think of one. There's another one probably my favorite in this game where all the stages are 3D cubes so it's like a maze where you can't see where all the paths are going and you kind of have to you know whenever you wander to the end of the cube the edge of the cube that is it turns and you know then you're on another side so kind of have to wander around that way and then there's like another one which I uh, may have Actually, the storyline for that one may have been based around, like, the Little Mermaid. Not, like, the Disney version, but I think, like, the original Fable. No, the the Hans Christian Andersen. <laughs> yeah, right. And um, I think that one involved, like, altering the level of the water on the stage and having to kind of go back and forth between different areas depending on uh, the level of the water. Uh, but there were just a lot of interesting ideas like that. And the boss battles did so as well. Like there's one and I don't, boss battle might not even be the, the the best word because you weren't always just fighting one bad guy. Like there's one where you have to defend a castle, so it's kinda like this whole siege thing where you have to fight down enemies and there's like some catapults and things like that you can use. Just That doesn't the, sound like a roguelike at all. <laughs> it it does sound tactical. It doesn't but this was all done through like typical roguelike commands for the most part and it was just one of the most wildly original games I've ever played just like stretching what you could do with kind of the basic core of a roguelike to the absolute limit and it's just such a good game such a really good game and it kind of gets off to a a slow start unfortunately because uh the story is uh, pretty in-depth and there's a lot of talking, so you kind of have to be able to put up with a bit of that, but uh, just such such a good game. Uh, I'm not hearing I, anything here that would dissuade Phil from having a good time. <laughs> I mean, if you like ZHP, it's, it's definitely worth a try. It's just a really, really cool game, and it likes ZHP, it does the whole thing where you, you know you have this overall level that builds up as you go through and you know when you die you lose lose your items uh, which you don't want to do because there's different ways you can power up the items and things like that so um, just probably the best roguelike I've ever played to be to be perfectly honest Whoa. like I believe I gave it a 4.5 out of 5. And certainly going in, that's not something I expected to be doing. Total surprise for me. Well, I don't, I, I don't see how it can be good because Metacritic only gave it a seventy-four. <laughs> People are boring. I, I had a long argument with my, with my brother-in-law 
because I like I'll recommend a game to him and he'll immediately you know look it up online and immediately fire back. It's only a seventy on Metacritic. It sucks. <laughs> no, like, oh, come on, stop it! Just stop it. Well, I, I, the problem with that, and so so does that mean that he loves all the Halo games because they get such great scores? Trust me, I throw it in his face. <laughs> Guide of Fate Paradox, you can get that. You can get that still on Amazon. It's still new enough. Um, it's around the twenty thirty dollar area. It's on eBay for twenty bucks. Uh, it's still yeah, a very it, affordable game. It probably bombed. <laughs> Sadly, which is sad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think I think the thing with this game is it's probably not something you could appreciate unless you really play through at least most of the game. Which, as we know, a lot of reviewers, you know, not really their fault. It's kind of general practice, but a lot of reviewers don't play all the way through the game. And I think this is the kind of game where you have to go through and kind of see all the cool things they do with you know, the roguelike concept to get a full appreciation of it. Mm-mm-mm. So check it out. And, so and I think you have to be hey you have to have a little uh, ability to put up with you know some animation shenanigans, which I guess you know isn't everyone's cup of tea. Well, so so you got some you got a lot of adventure, you got a lot of excitement, you got a lot of danger waiting for you in these roguelikes, especially when you know which ones to hit. Thanks to here your friends at RP Gamer. So go and check those games out that we talked about tonight. Some of the ones that we talked bad about. Ignore those. But those we talked about good. You want to go and get those. So lots of lots of lots of fun. And on a dark night, yeah, go go find the original Rogue. It won't be that hard. Yeah, the original Rogue. <laughs> no, definitely definitely upgrade. I, it's cool. I'll be looking back at Zogbond, and, and this was a good time for me to go back and look at uh, look at Rogue, look at Zogbond, the two games that that I had put the most time into uh, back in the day, and. Um, uh, yeah, just play Tales of Magial. It, it, it really does capture the spirit without modernizing it so much that you don't recognize it anymore. I mean, if you want that true old school roguelike difficulty uh, feel, but uh, you know you want the ease of excess of not trying to have to figure out how to use MS DOS box or anything, and and uh, and and dealing with uh, lack of documentation and uh, and all the other stuff. Nah, it, Tales is really that that pure experience. If you want something that captures the spirit of roguelikes, but is a little bit more fun, a little bit more forgiving, uh, I definitely recommend ZHP. It sounds like um um what did you call that game? Again? The Devast- I did fate paradox. Thank you. Sorry, Devastator. You know, it's short-term <laughs> memory. Um, you know, definitely. And, I mean, and Sheeran. Sheeran definitely captures the yeah. spirit of the original Rogue as well. I mean, I remember with ZHP dying, while well, a bit unfortunate. It would definitely set you back. I mean, you 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 know, if you made 14 floors of progress towards the 15th floor boss and you you died because of a bad decision, I mean, there was a penalty. It still is roguelike as far as you lost your items. Uh, you're going to be reset to level one, of course, when you go back in. But you made at least some progress meta-wise on the on the grand scale of, of things. At least you got those levels. It was also why I was careful what items I took with me. You're going to save your biggest, baddest weapon that you've been upgrading for that one run that you know is going to be really good. Um, but I mean, there was some for there is some yield there compared to the old school uh, roguelikes. Uh, and I feel that that's kind of uh, that's kind of necessary today. I'm not as patient as I used to be back in the '80s. Uh, completely losing all progress and not being able to save any items, and completely starting from scratch after putting 30, 40 hours into something. Not quite as exciting as it used to be. But um, yeah, I think I think ZHP and Guide uh, Fate Paradox really kind of hit that perfect balance of uh, making some serious penalty for dying, but not making you're not doing like complete permadeath and you lose everything it's it's a pretty nice balance right 
Uh, and um, uh, I'll have to double check. Like I said, I never really died a whole lot in, in Tales. I tried to, uh, and I believe there were some options in that too to make it a little forgiving. But re- regardless, it's just yeah, I would definitely play one of these newer ones that we brought up today rather than going back to some of the um, DOS and DOS based <laughs> ones. Woo! And uh, we might do that in the yep. future. Who knows? <laughs> Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna take a we'll take a break or and and then check out Baroque because it's just it's just whacked it's just whacked we just need something completely whacked. Just pay attention to that game because <laughs> and when you're done with it, maybe look up some extra information on the internet because wow. Oh yeah, yeah, that's definitely one you're going to want to game fact as yeah. much as I'm not a fan. Um, Gameplay is not too bad though. Just is at least so it's not just the story and you're struggling with it. Although, mm-hmm. you'll want a guide to probably look up how the heck to advance the tower, because I still don't understand how you're supposed to uh, figure out from Eliza saying, get me pure water, and then you end up having to kill Longneck by giving him an item that makes him bury himself in the dirt. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to go through it again. Mm-hmm. Expl- explanation for how you advance that, I don't get it. Well, I'm sure somebody's figured it out and wrote an fact about it somewhere. They oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm I just sure. don't know how people, to people, there are people out there with a lot more time on their hands than, than we got. Uh, God bless them, too. By the way, I just want to take a moment to thank all of you people who write game facts uh, that gets us through some of these tougher spots. Because while while we all know Phil hates games, that forces him to go to game facts, Phil is very thankful for the people who write the game facts so that when I finally break down and go to them, the answer's there and I don't end up breaking my $40 game that I paid for. So... Uh, alrighty, uh, we're gonna take a we're gonna take a break after this two-hour marathon, and we will come back to wrap this up with the final lap. return this is the final app where we read your comments and talk about our next show and talk about what we're all playing kitchen sink stuff and speaking of next show looks like we're heading are we are we heading back to elder scrolls land or is we that are next? We, we are what are we i doing? believe that is the one that scott said is the least bad <laughs> the least bad oh oh we're gonna talk about morrowind yep Oh yeah, I like that one. Ah, that's kind of cool. Anyways, uh, yeah, Elder School, Elder Dead Sea Scrolls, and that's a uh, backtrack number one sixty three coming at you soon. But our last episode, what was that one about, Mike? We talked about something. 
Quest for Glory. There's a quest for glory. Let's see what we got. And we only put it up yesterday, so... Oh, so there's no comment yet. <laughs> so, woo, so Paths of Glory. There's not much I can do with that. I put it up as soon as it's ready. Yeah, what took you so long, Mike? Well, it took you like three minutes. Gosh. Uh, I cheerfully say that maybe you were busy playing. What were you playing, Phil? Uh, it's not my turn yet. Not my turn. <laughs> I took my turn last. You've been playing something instead of editing yeah. the last episode. Oh, I would never do such a thing. That's blasphemy. Oh, we got responsibilities here at RP Gamer that have to come first. Uh, uh, sure. You playing Fire Emblem, Phil? Fire Emblem? Yes. Yeah, but hold on. Well, it's not my turn. Hold on. What else do we have to read? Oh, 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 oh. I know. Let's talk about. Let's talk about what Cassandra's doing. What you doing, Cassandra? Uh, for the site, uh, news on semi-occasion. I try to get at least a few out a week. Um, I, I mean, this is actually a while ago, but I finally made my first, did my first solo feature. Uh, you can still see it on the buttons there on the side. End of an epoch. I basically just summarized my thoughts on each of the Image Epoch games I played and as a send-off because the company went bankrupt last year. And I'll miss them, even though their games were never spectacular. Well, I think Stella Glow sent it out on a fairly good note. Yes. And I know Phil will agree with you that Archives Fantasia deserved a better hearing than it got. Yes, yes. Again, and, and yes, Stella Glow was a, hey, bad pun, but it was a great swan song, sadly. <laughs> a sad swan song, but a great one. And, um, okay, so that, that's it for the site. Uh, Game-wise, uh, they've been trying to play the some of the, the Pokemon Mystery Dungeons for impro- there's this I'm playing uh, Fire Emblem Fates Conquest I have a special edition so all you three have, of them mm-hmm. you have chosen wisely well I was kind of lucky too so many people are oh you mean Conquest you don't mean special yes, edition yes yes <laughs> yes well yeah definitely special edition but especially Conquest that's ex- that's what I was that was what was missing from Awakening I mean I I really like Awakening but the you know the maps were really kind of one note, and most of them were you know clear all enemies or beat the boss. I yeah. wanted the that complexity back, the complex maps, the limited um, resources, and it's been a huge blast so far. I'm absolutely loving the gameplay. I'm liking the characters. I'm also liking the story, though I have to completely separate what goes on in the uh, in, at the my castle because. Like some of like some of the, it's like it has to be like non-canon because some of the stuff there just makes no blast bloody sense, especially with the whole second generation <laughs> bit. I mean, in Awakening it made sense because of the whole whole time travel plot thing, but and of course, um, uh, genealogy of the Holy War on the SNES had the time skip, but this yep. one it just I don't get it. They so okay they get they married it's a, a kid is eventually born they presumably spend nine months in a castle so time doesn't advance out into the real world and then they leave them there to grow quickly like no that's completely I have to completely divorce that or else I'm going to think too much on it and think just like I no. think you already have yes I have it's it's dumb and I hope they never bring back the second generation at least not for a very long time without a good reason I haven't it's, played enough of it yet to judge, but I can say this is uh, this is weird for Fire Emblem, where you you take people down in a fight and they're not dead. That's that's a first for this series. Uh, well, when you, I mean that's happened in other games if the character's important enough and they're or, like if they pop up in, between during the story moments, they won't actually die; they'll just be injured. No, this is different. Usually, it, it even happens to some of the bosses in a stage, and usually they're just grunts who, I'm evil. I'm going to kill you. Uh, you. You killed me! 
that's usually their entire bit. But here's if they're they're actually sometimes important, and you find that even after you beat the crap out of them, they're not dead. And that's that's well, yeah. I'm trying to think of past Fire Emblems that did that, and I'm actually coming up short. <laughs> I think it only happened with a couple where the villain would show up later. And be recruitable, of, yeah. <laughs> and possibly be recruitable. Or for some critical plot reason. That too. And a couple... I'm, I'm sure there were a couple of cases in uh, the first English Fire Emblem, just because that's set before Fire Emblem 6, so certain people have to stay alive for it. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember which ones right now, but I know they existed. Oh well. But yeah, Conquest, absolutely a blast, and I'm glad, I'm glad to see this return. I hope to see the, you know... The higher difficulty, the more complex maps, the more involved strategy for the rest of the series. Though it'll be very interesting to see where it goes from here on out. Well, at the very least, uh, I think we can say for sure there will be another one, considering how successful this one has been. Heck yes. Wait, 300,000 in the first week that's, in America? That's nuts. That is, yeah, that is pretty nuts. It's, it's like, Fire Emblem. How did this happen? I mean, Awakening <laughs> did sell Wait, a million. It, like, it sold, I think almost, it sold over a million. I remember seeing it. Still. I saw still. ads for Awakening on YouTube. I never expected that. There were ads on TV for Awakening and for Fates. I must not have been watching t- much TV. That, actually, I know I wasn't watching much TV then, so that's okay. why I didn't see it. <laughs> actually, I vaguely remember a commercial for the, uh, the the first Fire Emblem released in America, too, so maybe that's not that strange. But Awakening, I also remember the YouTube clip mentioned that RP Gamer thought very highly of it, which was my review, so I took that very personally. <laughs> <laughs> But, yep, yeah, great game. I'll get to Birthright. I mean, I'm nearly finished on Chapter 21. I'll get to Birthright after that, then after that revelation. Not looking as fun to, to Birthright, but the, I kind of like the fact that a lot of the classes look very different. You've got... Some of them are just renames, but then you've got, like, the ninjas and the mechanists and the, uh... The, like, the archers flying on giant birds. Uh, what were they? The, the, the Kinshi? Kinshi Knight or something? Kinshi Rider? Crazy looking. So, yeah. Well, how about you, Mr. Apps? Uh, I'm playing Fire Emblem Fates as well. Uh, I actually imported imported it from Japan last year and played a lot of it then. So it's interesting going back through Conquest again in English. And it's amazing how uh, a lot of the characters, their personalities came through extremely well just through like animations and things like that without even knowing what they were saying. So... Uh, They've really done a good job, not only localizing the characters, but just you know the original writing of the characters in general. Uh, just a fantastic mm. game, and really couldn't, really would recommend it to anyone that has any interest in any sort of tactical game. And, and it's nice that they have all those difficulty options. So, however you want to play it, even if you want to play the absurd Phoenix mode, uh, however, <laughs> however you want to play. Yeah, however you want to play this game, you pretty much can. And I'm actually playing on casual mode because uh, yeah, when I st- when I started it and I saw Phoenix mode, I thought, wait, that would be- wouldn't that make it just about easier than any other tactical game ever made? If- <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, I'm playing I'm playing on casual mode just because I had a bad experience at the end of Awakening with permadeath. So just going with casual mode, which kind of makes it feel like Shining Force, which is pretty fun. So. Uh, Congress yeah, is consider, considering how unlikely we are to ever see another real Shining Force. Yeah. Conquest is great. I really like the characters on that side, other than more than the other ones. And for me, 
Yeah, the did siblings seem to be uh, like more, at least a bit more engaging. They didn't like, have to wait till I actually play Birthright to get more of their feelings. But these siblings in Nor just feel a bit like more interesting as people than the ones in Hoshido. Yeah, it's interesting. So like the Hoshido is kind of this pictured as like the good nation. Mm-hmm. But when you get to the decision, you know, all the people on Hoshido are like, oh, we're your birth family. They're evil jerks. And the other side is like, oh, you're not, you're not our blood relative, but you know, we've known but, you your whole life and your yeah. your family. And it's mm-hmm. like, for me, there's no decision there. <laughs> and mm-hmm. So it's, it, I really like that it's not just like this necessarily. Even though, like I said, they kind of paint Hoshido as the good nation, it's not really a, a black and white choice. Oh, which and, is kind of funny considering the Japanese names were like White Kingdom and Black Kingdom, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was really their name? Yeah, it was like, I, I think I, could, I might be able to look up exactly what it is. Let me see here. Uh, it, was probably sure. jet, it was probably Jet Black and Snow White. <laughs> no, it's something like White Knight Kingdom, or I don't know, where is it? Uh, Fire Emblem. If, Fire Emblem, if, what though? What were they called? Uh, yeah, because if is this silly. Okay, I'll maybe, I'll, maybe I'll find it later. Continue. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much all I was going to say. Just, you know, not black and white decision at all. And, but yeah, I really love Conquest. I'm sure Birthright will be good enough as well. And uh, the third path should be interesting. I managed to pick up the special edition as well. So got everything on one cart, which is fun. Mm, um, I'm jealous. <laughs> I can't believe they sold out those so freaking fast. I know. Good I mean, grief. I like they can't. Like this is a surprise after the first one did so well. And I mean, all they could have they could have opened up pre-orders. I don't believe in pre-ordering normally, but I was trying to pre-order that. There was a bunch of people trying to pre-order. They could have figured. Ah, oh, so appar- irritating. I thought it'd be a gamble to do this, and it apparently worked. I mean, sure, they kind of split the game into two, but people in America still bought it up. I thought basically the uh, the special edition would be the standard, but nope, it still worked. Yeah, and they probably really have to do it that way, just because considering uh, probably how expensive it was to produce this game. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Localizes, so we've really got to find some way to root that. Ah, here but, we go. Fire Emblem, if White Knight Kingdom for Hoshido and Dark Knight Kingdom for Nor. There you go. Yeah. yeah, that's subtle. Very subtle. <laughs> Again, yeah, Conquest okay. and Birthright are at least you know less in your face. And Revelation is Invisible Kingdom. Now, I guess I'll find out what that's what that about later. Yeah, that should be interesting. Looking forward to that, but still going to save that for last. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other than Fire Emblem, as far as stuff on the site, I recently got up a uh, impression of Tom Clancy's The Division, which yes, is an RPG, uh, <laughs> and actually came out today. Uh, so if anyone's interested in that game, I'd recommend. Uh, taking a look at that and I'll also be doing some streaming of the full game in the coming weeks and probably actually right after we finish recording so yeah definitely watch the RP Gamer Twitch channel for that okay. yeah it's a, it's a really interesting game uh, I, I, anyone with any passing interest in like a shooter RPG mix uh, I would certainly recommend people check out actually I probably won't be watching but that's because my computer has serious views later <laughs> Tell us about the computer technical issues there, Mike. What's up? Uh, well, you know, I have ex- I have deliberately used very little Flash lately because some of the time when I've used Flash in the last few months, it will cause my computer to lock up and freeze and have to be hard shut down. 
Well, that's no bueno. Of course, it also did that once while I was playing FF13, so it may not be f- exclusively Flash. <laughs> um, yeah, I just put up that review of Final Fantasy XIII. Um, I'm sorry, Mr. Apps. I, I cannot agree with you on the merits of that game. <laughs> oh, no apologies necessary. I understand why anyone would like that game. It's definitely a love it or hate it. So uh, you obviously hated it, and I understand. Especially if you were fighting with the tech issues I did, because there's yeah, just something about watch, watching the frame rate dip into single digits while you try and maybe move around something and then fail because the lag is that bad. Uh, yeah. Then again, I, the game I, is not designed for you to get preemptive strikes very often. It just wants you to start everything on an even keel because that's more fun for some. If I have, if I have any advice, I would say don't let anyone talk you into saying the sequel is better because it's bad. <laughs> it's really bad. No, they answered all the fans' concerns with the sequel. I know, and that's why it's really bad. <laughs> you know, I mean, they fixed all the problems. They polished the turd. I, I mean, the, the game. What about the, what about the second sequel? Well, uh, don't listen to uh, anyone is a fascinating game and actually a good game. I don't care what anyone says. It's a good game, and I would recommend checking it out. I begin to think you're a little contrarian, Mr. Apps. <laughs> well, um, I remember Adrian didn't hate it. There's, if, if you look out there, there's a lot of people that don't hate it because it it's just this weird game and... Uh, it's one of those that uses like a time mechanic before the game basically ends and you have to start over. Uh, and just do some interesting things with that. It's not perfect by any means. The story is trash as well. Uh, but it is absolutely an interesting and fun game. Hmm. Yeah, I kind of wish it was the only sequel they made. Well, at least we haven't heard of any Final Fantasy Thirteen Part Four <laughs> yet. <laughs> They're hopefully well. They're moving on to fifteen, so hopefully not. Maybe well, thirteen four will wind up on a handheld. <laughs> well, considering how much time they spent on fifteen, I have a feeling we're gonna see a few sequels to that. <laughs> Call well, yeah, off. we've got, we've got to reuse all those assets to make up for the fifty or so billion dollars thrown. Million. Oh billion yeah. Billion is a bit much. Oh yeah. But of course. Uh, so actually, actually, fifty million is probably lowballing it. Let's say a hundred million. So maybe they'll have a fifteen-three lightning returns again. There you go. What can I do for you? Wing, <laughs> wing, 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 wing. Now that that would be fifteen-two. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, I finished Project X Zone Two. Astonishingly, Ooh. no one has commented upon my review. Oh, I need to go look at that. Wait a minute, is that the? No, is that like the? No, I'm mixing it with your Final Fantasy review. Thinking it was a two out of five. <laughs> I, I'm hoping that one of the lines I took down while playing will be put on the front page pretty soon. Apparently, not many people see those quotes anymore. But I liked Sega Tasanshiro near the end, exclaiming, "Not to worry. Plug in the Sega Saturn modem, and you'll be on the information superhighway at a blistering 14.4 kilobits per second." <laughs> And then he mentions that soon the American branch of Sega will have a new modem that doubles it to 28.8 kilobits per second. <laughs> Just the entire presence of Sega Tassanshiro is hilarious. Now you're playing with power. The, the one line yes. I saw... That, Sha- Xiaomu it, does reference the power glove. Oh, jeez. 
The one line I saw that basically confirmed I had to purchase the game was, you call that a Genesis? Does it even have blast processing? <laughs> totally sold me on the game. Well, that and the Resonance of Fate characters are also in it again. Oh, yeah, that too. I, Leon Kennedy had a couple of good lines. Reason for absence. Fell through a time warp and hung out with rabbits and ninjas. Yeah, that'll go over. <laughs> or, video game enemies attacking real-life cities. Great. I'm living in a crappy Hollywood disaster flick. <laughs> Uh, and then Jill said once when Chris was uh, contemplating learning new techniques from Rue and Ken, if your hands start to emit lightning or fire, I'm calling off our partnership, Chris. It, it's just a really good localization, which is good because the bulk plot is, oh no, the worlds are colliding. Oh no, it's this guy again. Oh no, it's this other guy again, and he's brought all <laughs> his friends. We're going to beat them up. Uh, yep, they beat me up. Well, I'll see you again. Bye. I, I hope you like fighting M. Bison and Sigma and Vile and uh, Metal Face and several Soccer Wars villains. You just get to fight the same guys over and over a lot. Just like the first game, but it goes faster here. Um, yeah, we'll probably have a full show on Project X Zone sometime because I know Mr. Baker actually requested one. Uh, we've got that. I finished FF13. I, I have not gotten very far into Conquest because I was dealing with those other two games, but now I will be getting further, and oh yes, I watched a couple of Godzilla movies over the weekend because it was just time, including Godzilla Final Wars, where you get to see the sight of Godzilla using his tail to smash Zilla, the American Godzilla from that horrible 1998 movie, into the Sydney Opera House, then blasting it to bits. Goodbye, Zilla. The king is, once again, the king. Uh... I can't do Final Wars justice here. It's just a laugh and a half to see aliens who, of course, look Japanese and their leader seems to be doing some kind of Japanese Joker riff. <laughs> um, I think that's about all I got. How are you doing, Phil? No, is this thing working? Okay. Cat just uh, jumped on my microphone there. Wasn't sure it was still operating. Can you all still hear me? Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see here. Let's see. Apps had asked me a question. I said it wasn't my turn yet. Now I forget what said question was. Oh, oh, Grim. Oh, right, right. That's, so, what you were, that's what you were playing instead of editing the last episode. Right. So if you haven't heard, because it, it, I didn't hear about this until I just, you know, heard about it. Um, there is a really cool little um, action RPG out. It is called Grim Dawn. Not that there's a whole lot small about it. It is... Um, you know, it's 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 very it's a very well polished, uh, nice, solid action uh, RPG that uh, you know definitely could fill. Uh, you know, not only uh, tries to you know walk in uh, Diablo shadows, but uh, kind of steps out a little bit on its own. It's it's a fun it's a fun game. I've been playing it with uh, with Shirley, and you, let me think for a second here. You got. You start off just making a character, and it's it's a kind of a classless. No, it is a class system. But you start off not picking a class. You just make you just you just pick a male or female. You don't even get to pick how they look. Um, and uh, there's a story. Uh, I won't give it away because it's a new game. But uh, you'll want to check it out. It's it's a decent story. It's definitely more involved in let's say Diablo's uh, threes, which isn't very hard. I found that one put me to sleep. Anywho. Um, and it, the levels are are handcrafted, 
which is, you know, in a day and age where more of these action RPGs are trying to be more roguelike and trying to have lots of random everything, uh, this one has very handcrafted levels. There is random items, uh, weapons and the such, uh, and uh, but there's there's handcrafted bosses with specific powers. Uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, the world's huge. There's quests uh, to go with the story, and. Um, uh, very, uh, very uh, well-made graphics, and uh, it's just a lot of fun. So, I want to go and check that out. Grim Dawn, it's getting favorable uh, reviews as well. We've gotten up to around the end of chapter one, I think, around level twenty-five or thirty-ish. Uh, very deep uh, systems. So you got once you get to so once you get to like second level, you pick your first class. There's six classes. Uh, they they got the uh, they got the standard fighter in there, but some of the uh, most of the other ones feel kind of unique. You got like the occultist and the um, the demolitionist uh, instead of just saying fire mage. <laughs> you know he's throwing out caltrops as well as Kala, uh, Molotov cocktails, and and like a there's a like a roguelike stealth assassin one. There's six of them, but what's really cool is when you hit level ten, you get to pick a second one. So there's probably what. 20 permutations uh, when you have six classes and you can mix and match two of them, unique combinations. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's pretty neat. Uh, so definitely one of those games you can play twice and have a totally different experience. The uh, There's different uh, skills that you can pick up as you pump points into each class. You get more stats, but uh, you also get a uh, bigger pool of talents to pick from. So messing around with that, with those systems, seeing how you can make your character powerful is pretty cool. One of the other interesting things is, and it kind of feels a little bit like Path of Exile in a way, but your items can give you uh, skills, and they feel very powerful. It doesn't go as far as the junctioning method uh, found in, in Paths of Exile, but uh, uh, we definitely are out there seeking some of the the weapons that have some of the cool things. Like one of the weapons allows, uh, or armor pieces or whatever, allows you to dual wield weapons, uh, pistols, which normally you wouldn't be able to dual wield. So there's some really cool stuff out there that can change your game. Mm, but there, and then there's a whole on top of that. There's a there's a constellation system. If you felt like Diablo didn't have enough stats. This this game's got stats upon stats. There's like eight different resistances and um, different bonus to damage types. They've even separated. There's fire damage bonus and there's burn damage bonus. What's the difference? Burn is the damage over time version of fire. So if you have a piece of gear that says it adds 50% burn damage, it's adding 50% to any talent that has a, a fire damage over time. And it'll be specifically called burn, so it's really easy to, to match up. But if it says plus 50% fire damage, it's just affecting those instant fire damage effects or weapons that do fire damage instantly. So... Interesting. Lots and lots of deep systems at play there, and if you take the time and read through them and um, and, and experiment a little bit, you can make your character uh, pretty powerful. At least in the early levels, it feels like the time we're putting into it is paying off. It, it's it's one of the you know Diablo playing Diablo with my brother has become a game of uh, go 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 go. I, I joke with him because he plays this. Um, 
he plays whatever class he's playing, but he's got the uh, uh, the the boots of speed, and he's teleporting around the board, and he's just zipping through it as fast as he can. It's all about just zipping through, getting through the quest or the bosses as quickly as possible, so you get that next loot drop, rinse and repeat. And it's roguelike in that the layout and the monsters are kind of randomized, but it eventually feels like you're kind of doing that same thing over and over again. Not to say we won't reach that point somewhere in this game, but this game rewards you for taking your time, looking around, talking to the people, especially looking around. There's all kinds of hidden areas. There's not big bright light lit up map saying your cave is here you have to literally walk towards the cave and click on that little entrance that's uh, in the middle of the rocks it isn't it isn't super hard to find but if you're just go go going you're gonna miss some of that stuff and since that's where some of the devotion shrines are that give you points on your on your talent tree your constellation part of your talent tree uh, you you don't want to miss out on some of that stuff so taking your time uh pays off um and, and with the handcrafted levels uh, it, it does, you know, definitely, um, it, it definitely makes it a worthwhile journey. So we're really, really enjoying it uh, so far. Uh, boy, what else are we playing? Heroes of the Storm. I just got, I just got the uh, wizard. For, speaking of Diablo, the uh, wizard lady, whatever her name is, they gave her a name. Who knows? It's the wizard lady from Diablo. And uh, they, when they release a hero, it's fifteen hundred, fifteen thousand gold coins. But when the next hero comes out three weeks later, because they release them every three weeks, that one drops to ten thousand. So I was able to pop my ten thousand gold for her. I just do my daily quests. I usually have. Um, I don't have to buy too many characters. Pretty much get most of them with gold. Mm, and she's a lot of fun because she's a glass cannon, just just so devastating on the damage. Uh, I've been enjoying that. What else? Uh, I've been playing more Dragon Quest Nine. One of the cool things I've discovered on uh, with uh, Twitter and TweetDeck is you, on TweetDeck you can set up columns to search for certain Twitter terms like hashtag DQIX for Dragon Quest Nine. And despite the fact that this game is what two, three, four years old, something like that, yeah, people still. Uh, I- yeah, yeah nine is, uh, six, nine? seven years old, I think. Oh boy, yeah. I mean, it's a DS game after all. But people are still posting hashtag DQ um, IX. Uh, if you don't follow, if you don't follow me on Twitter um, specifically, if you're just looking for DQ IX, you're probably going to get some of the screenshots and stuff that I've been uh, posting up almost every day. So, ooh, I'm falling behind on my screenshots. Ooh, gotta do some more sometime. But uh, yeah, in my comments and stuff, I usually put a hashtag DQ IX on those. So, but there's been a lot of other people posting too. Well, maybe not a lot. Maybe just one other guy. Okay, there's one other very prolific poster now that I looked in history. His name keeps popping up. But there was other people before. I swear. Oh yeah, if you go further back, you see other people. It is pretty funny though. You have people drop in and drop out just posting about DQ nine. It's hilarious following something like that. Uh, so that's pretty cool. On my 3DS, which tends to sit by my bed, tends to be that game I play late at night or early in the morning. Uh, yes, that has been Fire Emblem. But it's been the uh, what's the first one called? On the 3DS, awakening, and the- awakening, yeah, been 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 awakening, been been awakening, man, yeah, you know, I've tried fire, I I have played Fire Emblem games on the DS, I have never beat any of them because inevitably I get to some board that feels very cheap where I lose at least one character, so I get frustrated, I restart it, and after like the fourth or fifth time of losing a you know a character over and over again because I just can't figure it I out. I remember or... you talking about this. Oh you're yeah, you were playing the first English one in the GBA, and you had found some battle where fog of war was causing you great grief. Oh, I hated that fog of war. But even though I knew which guy you know hit like a Mack truck, it seemed like no matter what what approach I took, he'd come out and smack somebody dead. And I was like, oh come on. 
I'm not going to play a game where I lose it. That drives me bananas. I mean, so I don't mind the roguelike element of, okay, I made a mistake. Uh, there's a penalty, you know, to that and having to reload that map over again or whatnot. But when it was like the fourth or fifth time in a row, uh, you know, and I, and I didn't feel like it was me making a mistake as much as, the, you know, this, this guy's cheap <laughs> and it's like a Mack truck. Um, yeah. And I'm losing a character permanently over it. Oh yeah. I just, I couldn't mentally get over that. It might be something in fire in the old fire emblem games where it's like, look, if you're going to enjoy the game, you got to get over the fact somebody's going to die. You know, some people are going to die. Just suck it up, deal with it and move on and you'll enjoy the game. But which I, isn't necessarily the case. I, no, I, I just, I just, uh, I just, I just mentally can't do it. So I ended up just stopping that game and moving on to something that felt more enjoyable. But yeah, this one, with the uh, with the casual mode on apps, yeah, you're right. It feels a little bit more like a, a Shining Force, where you know, yeah, it's pretty cool. I did have somebody uh, die too already, but because I had it on casual mode, they just pop like back up. Um, so that's that's pretty hilarious. It, you, did you notice? Did any of you guys notice that if you have it on hardcore versus casual, they say different things? Because clearly, in one mode, they're going to die and never see you again. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all. Very uh, the attention to detail is is just uh, just amazing. Just a very gorgeous game uh, with the three D turn on or off. It's just it's just really awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so really really enjoying that. Uh, speaking of, I just saw RP Gamer retweeted. Speaking of beautiful three DS, uh, Fabian uh, tweeted, "Damn, bravely second on the three DS." Uh, with the 3D on is freaking gorgeous, and the RP Gamer retweeted that, so that's pretty funny. Uh, speaking of pretty things, looking at yes, so uh, let's see, because I'm a poly gamer gamist here in Utah. Uh, two or three games isn't enough. I've also been playing the new um, Clash Royale on uh, on the handheld casual gaming. I know horrible. But I've got so many family members that are into casual gaming, and a lot of them are very having a lot of fun with Clash Royale, made by the same people who made Clash of Clans, and um, uh, it's more of a uh, it almost feels like a mini Dota. Speaking of Heroes of the Storm, you got each side has a, a couple of towers and a main base, and you uh, you have a little energy bar that fills up, and you put down soldiers. They each have different cost, uh, which you get those soldiers from cards you collect by opening up treasure chests that are filled with uh, with cards in between battles from from winning, and um, you level them up by collecting multiples of the same cards, and uh, and it's exciting. It's PvP. It's real time. It's a three minute match, and it and it looks it fixes a lot of the issues with with Clash of Clans as far as to you know Clash of Clans. I can never play on a phone. It's too small. Um, you know, a lot of other little nitpicking uh, things about Clash of Clans. Someone can raid my account when I'm not logged in. I lose crap. That's irritating. Grr. No, it doesn't happen here. You don't lose anything for losing. Uh, no one can attack your base. There's no base. It's a PvP. You know, Dota style match. Get online and and fight if you want to. You don't lose anything if you lose. So, um, even my mom's in it. My friends at work are in it. We have a clan, uh, adult marauders. And if you want to join, feel free to mention you're from RP Gamer because I usually keep it closed. Uh, but it's uh, we got a clan on Boom Beach, Clash of Clans, and now Clash Royale. So those are the casual games I'm farting around with on my cell phone when the missus is shopping. If I forgot my gas. Whew! Oh boy, is that it? Gosh, I feel like I played so many games over the last couple of weeks. In between all the college and everything else, where do I find the time? Hmm. You're doing oh. pretty well, I'd say. Oh, I know. I didn't touch my PlayStation all the last few weeks, so that's how I do it. Well, oh. sounds like Cassandra's done for the night, so uh, I know. thanks for being here, Cassandra. Thanks, Cassandra. Sure. Thank you for having me all, as always. Uh, good night. Good night. Have a good night. Thank you. Um, so, anywho, yeah, well, I'm just... Uh, so, I think that's all we got... 
think that's it. Think that, did we get everything, Mike? I think we did. I think we did. So uh, we'll do that whole legal easy thingy and remind everybody that RPG Backtrack is a production of RPGamer.com, your home and source for role-playing game news, reviews, and home to the best gaming community on the net. You can head on over to RPGamer.com, check out our huge library of previous RPG Backtrack podcasts. Uh, they're located on the left. We have a lot of sister podcasts there as well, such as the RPG cast, the Active Topical Banner, the Q&A Quest, and uh, just tons and tons of things there for your listening pleasure, plus articles written by gamers for gamers. And as I pointed out to my brother when I was telling him about the evils of Metacritic and modern-day gaming journalism and how it works, I said, remember, my friend, that many of those people are, let's say, a lot of those reviewers are, let's say, incentivized to a review favorably or review quickly before they even finish the game. You'll find none of that at RP Gamer because we force our people to play it for free and we make them finish it. We torture people like Mike Minky. Or my caps, or my caps. Phil had to get out of that. I, I, that kitchen was too, <laughs> that kitchen was too hot for me. I had to get out. God bless you guys. You have my respect. You suffer so I don't have to. Hey, you got are are you sure? Cro- you got, you got through Cross Edge and from the Abyss. I know. I had to get out after that. I was a wounded soldier. Are you, are you sure, Phil? You know, we could use your help. We still don't have a review for the Mugen Souls sequel. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yes. yeah. All Trent could do was an impression for some reason. Yeah, I know. He, he couldn't get through he it. He couldn't finish. I can't imagine why. Can you, Mr. Apps? No. Well, if I ever get through uh, college, maybe I'll start doing some writing again for you for the site, but it's, it's, it's tough right now. Hey, who? Uh, so, if you want to leave us uh, questions, comments, and stuff, we'd love all of that, you can head over to the forums there. The forum link is on the left side when you go to rpgamer.com. You can also tweet me. I'm at JC Servant. Mr. Mike Minky is at Jumaysen. That is J-U-M-E-S-Y-N. And Mr. Michael Apps is Amperstand Ask Wheels. He's also the place Correct. where you can send all of your complaints to. Just just send them all there. And if you have a complaint about Mike Minky's Final Fantasy XIII review, ask <laughs> Wheels. Just just do it. Wheels at RPGamer.com. Uh, let's see here. We got that. We got that. Uh, we got group at Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash RPGamer. Uh, my email address, jcservant at cyberlightcomics.com. Thank you so much for listening. Mr. Minky, you want to put us to bed? Well, that would probably best be done by just wandering around on a map that generates as you pass through each place, and you'll probably find some yummy stuff to eat, and you'll find some things that try to kill you, and eventually you'll find a hole in the ground that puts you through the entire planet Earth, and you pop up on the other side of the planet, and the jet lag immediately kills you. Night. Night.